0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode of TWIP is brought
1: to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files automatically and continually. Carbonite is the better backup plan. You can try it free at Carbonite.com. Just use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 20 million high quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. You can get 30% off your new account. Just head over to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This week on TWIP, Canon's big vision, the small or petite DSLR, a photographer sues his subject, St. Nick, N I K, comes early and an interview with Jared Poland of Photo.com. It's Thursday, March 28, 2013, and this is the 300th episode of TWIP. Welcome back to TWiP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, episode number 300. This is a momentous episode. We're going to be diving into Canon's big vision or the small DSLR. We're going to be talking about a photographer that that sued his subject over copyright. And we're going to talk about St. Nick or Nick Software, uh, bringing some early gifts to folks. And then we're going to switch things up a little bit. I did this really long and interesting interview with um, jared poland he's a you may know him he's a guy that goes by the name of fro Nose photo on youtube and online he's got like millions of people that have viewed his youtube channel and he's just got this gigantic afro it's like this so he and i he's and he's opinionated go figure so he and i chatted two opinionated people and it just went on forever. So we were going to make it a separate show, but I decided to make 300 a special show and add that interview in at the end of this show so that as you're li- if you don't want to hear that, you're not going to be forced to listen to the entire you know five days of TWIP, but uh, you could just listen to the regular show, and then at the end, it'll kick into the Jared interview. Plus, it's on YouTube, on my YouTube channel and all that, and the, it'll be embedded in this blog post. So definitely check it out. So... Joining me to discuss all this stuff and more are Mr. Doug Kaye, Mr. Jeff Carrion, and Darlene Hildebrandt. Hey, guys.
2: Hello, 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 hello. Congratulations on number 300, Redrick.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting. Well, the entire, you know, it's not just me. It's all the folks that, that help put TWIP out that are, are celebrating 300. So it's exciting. And uh, you know what the, show, the graphic for the show is going to be? Can you guess? you guess?
2: <laughs> the 300.
1: Thank you. It's going to be that, you know, that screaming shot of that. I forget the actor's name. He's like screaming, this is Sparta. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be that guy. You know. And then, which will go into us talking about copyright, because I don't know that I'm allowed to use that image. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll throw a Gaussian blur on it or something to make it mine. There you go. <laughs> so, all right. Let's do a roundtable real quick. Jeff, carry on. You're, you've, I've interviewed you a while ago. You're in Illinois, my home state. Mm-hmm. And um, you and I talked about some of the stuff that you have going on. Bring us up to speed on who you are and, you know, just sort of inside the world of Jeff.
3: Uh, well, I am a, what you call a digital media specialist here at DePaul University in Chicago. Uh, DePaul University is actually the largest Catholic um, private institution in the country. We have just around – we have around 25,000 students. Uh, so I'm a digital, digital media specialist in what's called the um, – uh, the public relations department. And by digital, digital media specialist, mostly that means I'm the guy in the office who uses a Mac. <laughs> 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 and I do... Uh, for all the media materials we produce, I... Um, uh produce the multimedia aspects that go into whether they be photography or video, audio, podcasts, um, anything like that. You know, if someone needs help with Photoshop on something, they call me. If someone needs help with something media related, they pretty much call me, and I'm the go-to guy for that. Uh, I also teach uh, part-time here at DePaul. I teach a uh, beginning photography class, and. Um, it's a basic, it's like total photography 101, and uh, it's, for spe- it's specifically for non-majors of photography, uh, for non-art majors. So these are students who are like accounting students, business students, law students, cool. um, nursing, science and health, things like that. So these are kids who have absolutely no concept of photography at all. They have no artistic ability, uh, and they're coming in, they're taking it as an elective uh, just for fun, one of their humanities credits. So in that sense, it's a really fun class to teach because everybody's really into it. They're really excited. You know, uh, The rest of their classes, they're writing papers. They're doing research. They're buried in books. In this class, there's no books. They just take pictures. They just have fun, and they really I get like to that. sort of develop this artistic side of themselves. Well, and it's cool, cool because from the, the beginning of the class all the way through the 10 weeks that we teach it, the improvement you see is tremendous. Everybody starts off really usually... Pretty bad. And by the end of it, they, they all look pretty darn good and they really put a lot of effort to it and they take um, they take a lot of
1: pride to it. That's cool. Well that's awesome. Well thanks for doing that and thanks for thanks for coming back on the show. Appreciate sure, it. Sure, no problem. It's great to be back. All right. Well hopefully this will be the first of many. All right. And also coming a neighbor to the north up there, Darlene Hildebrandt. Her her view. Hey Darlene, what, what's going on in your world? I mean, since the last time we talked, you were doing you're about to do some workshops and now you're teaching and all kinds of stuff. What is going on?
4: I got my hair on fire this week. I am teaching a beginner class tonight for a fellow teacher who had an emergency so I'm gonna cover his class tonight and um, I have another class next weekend starting um, next weekend doing an HDR class. Tonight's is beginner um, SLR stuff and at the end of April I've got a workshop in Alberta that I'm teaching and I had uh, I had a Twip discount for everybody last time. That still applies if they want to come along with me. Um, cool. The uh, it's hundred bucks off, and the discount code is Twip, and they can get to it at herviewphotography dot com slash Alberta. Nice. And I'm also trying to write an ebook on people and travel photography.
1: Nice. I love that. Well. It- and, and that's all you're doing? Oh, you, like you're slacking. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, on. that's not it. That's not it. I don't want to give you the whole Rolling list. Rolling stone
1: gathers time. no moss. Come on, darling. Come on, get with <laughs> we, it. We don't,
4: we don't have time for the whole list.
1: <laughs> Canadians up there, they're not doing anything. Just hanging out. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You sound like you're insanely busy, which is good. And then uh, last but not least is Mr. Doug K. Hey, Doug, what's going on sitting there in your swanky studio there?
2: I, I'm on? just, uh, Darlene makes me feel so lazy and incompetent. <laughs> I Unbelievable. Uh, well, I I, uh, I just got back from a uh, better part of a week shooting in Death Valley with Jeff Sullivan and Laurie Hibbett. That was great. My first time in Death Valley. I'd never been there. Really? And, yeah, it's a spectacular. You met all
1: my friends, the Joshua trees out there. Then, really? I did,
2: both of them. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, few and far between. No, yes, I did not yes. see those. Uh, and I've been, uh, I'm have teaching some advanced Photoshop classes here in Marin County. And, uh, of course, the challenge there is making sure I stay at least a little ahead of the students. And coming up next week, I'm doing um, side-by-side reviews of the NEX6 and NEX7, trying to figure out which of those is better. Uh, you and per- your prime lenses
1: you're on this perpetual sort of like hamster wheel of <laughs> of new cameras and figuring out which camera that you want to own you're like you're like Indiana Jones looking for the holy grail right but i want
2: you, I want you to know that that I have reviewed some that I haven't ended up buying, which is remarkable yes. uh but they're not not too many
1: <laughs> I want to see your gear room you you probably have an entire room in your house that just shells of gear, right? I would I
2: would swivel the camera around but no, we won't do that. But yes, <laughs> I have I have a I have a good collection.
1: Nice. Well, yeah. I have a little collection back there. I'm okay with the, with the little collection. It's okay. I need to, it's growing. See, I'm, I'm like a curator. I'll add to it every now and then. Like the next thing that I add to it is going to be a micro four thirds camera, which I've been threatening to get for six months, but I, they keep coming out with cooler ones. <laughs> I See, I, I, I,
2: I, I think I'm going to, having reviewed one of the, having reviewed the OMD E5M, uh, I think now I'm going to stick with the Sony. I'm going to stick with the NEX7s.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah so definitely. if you're
1: gonna if you're gonna advise me to get one, if I said, Hey Doug, I got you know, I got some money and I'm ready to go get my micro four thirds camera, which what would I go get today?
2: Uh I would probably say the OMD, uh although the the Lumix, whichever that new Lumix is, looks pretty good too. But I'd rent them, Frederick. I tell everybody now there's so much good stuff out there, go rent first. Because yeah. you got to see what this thing's like in you your can, hands. Is, you got borrow lenses. Borrow Renting micro four thirds. They sure are. They sure are. That, that's where I got my OMD. Cool.
1: All right. Well, we'll definitely do that then. That's an yep. excellent tip. In fact, the show's over. I need to go. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, uh, well, welcome back, Doug. I appreciate you being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a quick note on what's going on on my side, um, so like we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a critique of the week segment, and we're going to, each of us, we're going to be looking at some images that have come into the Google, to our Google Plus community and sort of giving our thoughts on if they're excellent or what they could have done better or just whatever, just sort of frank and candid to the point peer-to-peer kind of discussion about what these thoughts are. Um, Secondly, we did a contest called, um, or I did a contest called the Nicosi Preset Love Contest a couple weeks ago, or about a week ago, actually. launched it with a bunch of entries on there, and the winner of that contest is Stephen Zavalny. S-Z-A-V-A-L-N-E-Y, I think I got that right, Z- Stephen Zavalny. So he won that. Stephen, I'll be emailing you if by the time you listen to this I haven't emailed you. So you'll get an email from me with uh, instructions on how to claim your prize. And we'll be kicking off another pro- another contest, hopefully within the in the next week, probably by the next episode. I'm working on some some freebies for some different folks we know in the industry. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, let's jump into the news. The first story that we're going to be talking about is Canon's Big Vision, the small DSLR. This week they released the T5i. So they're calling it the, well, it's the um, SO1, or the World's Most Petite. SL or DSLR, and the SL stands for super lightweight. So one, so the SL, the SL stands for super lightweight. So here's some specs real quick before we jump into the discussion. Um, it's the world's tiniest and thinnest, or and lightest. Tiniest and lightest DSLR at 14.36 ounces. Uh, I'm reading this, by the way. I haven't memorized all this. Yeah, I think you got uh, iPhones on the brain a little too much there, Frederick. I know. I said thinnest. Yeah, it's only one inch thin. Um, uh, 25% smaller than the Rebel T4i. It's 18 megapixels with an APS-C CMOS sensor, same as in the T5i. Uh, it's got a nine-point autofocus system, a three-inch touchscreen with multi-touch Capabilities um, and it'll be available next month, April, as we record this, for six hundred and fifty bucks for the body or eight hundred bucks with a eighteen to fifty five f three um, point five five six image stabilized STM lens. So that's the deal. So you get this body. So let say you get the body or eight, eight, you drop eight hundred dollars and you get this petite DSLR. Darlene, over to you first. It, is this the direction that things are going? And where does this camera, in your view or in her view, fit?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a good. One. That's
4: very funny.
1: Where, where does this camera fit in the world of the Micro Four Thirds that we just talking about, the DSLRs and iPhones, all that? Where, who is this thing targeted at? Do you think?
4: I'm gonna say it's gonna be targeted to people that are getting an SLR for the first time I mm-hmm. I looked at it and I would not use one like I I tutor students and uh, people in my classes and they have rebels and things and I just find them too small I can't get a good grip on them because I'm used to the bigger mark 3 right so I would not use one of those if I'm gonna go small I want to go small all the way down to the Sony or the or the Olympus that Doug was talking about mm-hmm. so I think it's gonna be targeted to Beginners, first-time SLR buyers.
1: Would you, could you? Can you see yourself throwing this in your camera bag as a backup? Because it's so no. little and light. No. Always, no. No. It's <laughs> <She's> like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why is it? Is it that inadequate?
4: Um, I'm not a big fan of the Rebels. I mean, I'm I'm a little tough on my gear. Like I I like the the heavier duty camera bodies for the their ruggedness and their durability. Like. Perhaps if somebody, you know, gave it to me as a backup, I'm, I might consider having it in my bag. But I mean, right now, I just carry my 5D Classic as my backup.
1: Nice, nice. All right, Doug, you're you're the the camera hoarder. You know where is this one going to find its way under your gear shelf, or is this another
2: camera whore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say camera ho, but... but
2: camera ho, that's me.
1: <laughs> but you said it. So would, uh... would, you, would you buy this, or would you at least test this?
2: Uh no no I wouldn't even test it um, but wow you know I, I not
1: deserve a test
2: right? well you know I think it's a it's a really interesting niche because it's definitely a camera for people who are moving up not people who are moving down it's not sufficient as a backup for a larger better camera as Diane said uh, what interests me about these things is. I think that if there are people who are coming into the serious camera world, and let's not worry whether it's got a mirror or not, um, I think video is really important. And I think to do video, you need to have a swivel screen. And I think that that's something that is going to make this camera a little challenging. I love the fact that it's small, but, you know, the lenses on the so one and the lenses on the T5i are the same lenses, and you get the camera pretty small, the lenses become a pretty big thing. So I think if you look at it and you look at, you know, the so one in Nikon, that's the equivalent of the uh, D3200, for example, same price range. Mm-hmm. Um, they Neither of them has the swivel screen. That makes them weak for video. That means the next cameras up are the T5i or in Nikon the, the D5200. Yeah. Those are the series very – and then you've got to say, well – if you're going to do that, why not look at things like the Sony NEX 5, which is, you know, a lot cheaper and probably at least as good.
1: Yeah, but people, devil's advocate here, people are maybe saying, well, everyone I know is buying a Nikon or a Canon or reverse app buying a Canon or a Nikon, and this would represent kind of a, a entry-level toehold into that world. So, And not really, and I would argue that not a lot of people understand the virtues of micro four-thirds yet, and they're just looking at, okay, I have a point and shoot. If I want to start moving into the pro space, I need a DSLR. I think
2: think you're right. If if you, for some reason, are brand sensitive, maybe you're giving it to someone as a gift, and uh, and you think they'll be impressed by the name on the label, uh, and you want to get started in serious photography, this is probably a pretty good way to go. But, again, I'd watch out for the video issue.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. All right, Jeff, what about you? How do you? what do you look on this? If you, you have, you're surrounded by students, right? And I'm sure you get the question mm-hmm. all the time. Hey, Jeff, what camera should I buy? You know, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to go buy a camera. Is this a camera that you would put on your list of recommending to a new student? Oh, absolutely.
3: Uh, This has got student written all over it. It's got beginner written all over it. It's got um, somebody, like Doug, you mentioned, somebody looking to sort of make that jump to being a serious photographer. Um, Because I think the thing we have to look at with this camera um, versus, like, their micro four-thirds and their mirrorless options are just the general... Uh, sort of uh, credibility uh, a novice gives to just the look and feel of a camera where they'll look at a point-and-shoot and and they'll look at a micro four-thirds camera and they'll think amateur. They'll think, I know how to use that. That's going to be simple. And then they look at a DSLR form factor, no matter what kind of DSLR it is, and they think pro. Uh, Yeah, I got cameras all over my house um, from, you know, 60Ds. I got a 5D. I got a 60. And my wife's been around myself and cameras all the time. But I'll be darned if she can tell me the difference between my 5D and a 60D. To her, they're all the same, and to a lot of people, they're all the same. And by that same token, they have that same intimidation factor. So there's someone who's intimidated by photography who's a novice is going to look at a DSLR and say, no, that's not for me. I just want to take pictures of my kids playing soccer. And there's no way they'd even consider a DSLR.
1: So basically, what you're basically what you're saying is size matters, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No matter how big or small. But if somebody, <laughs> but somebody going into um, photography and they want to make the step up, they want to get something more impressive, um, then then they think DSLR. That is a pro camera. You know, no matter what the form factor is, um, and then you know, yeah, of course, size does matter. And if I'm looking to do various different types of shoots, depending on what the situation is, sometimes I want to grab the big 5D and all the lenses in the bag. Sometimes I want to grab the smallest camera I can get and be really stealthy, be really mobile, um, if that's all I'm going to be bringing with me. Uh, And that certainly makes a big difference, too, uh, depending on which camera I'm going to get. But as far as something like this being uh, an alternative to a 5D or a placement or something like that, Certainly Probably. not because the image the image quality just isn't there. You know, especially when you start cranking up the ISO and things like that.
1: Well, uh, d- d- Darlene, something Jeff Jeff said sort of uh, clicked in my head, and we've talked about this on the show before, and that's the whole idea of perception or professional perception regardless of the technology and the advances in miniaturization that go into a camera body this we hit this with micro four thirds that in a lot of cases they can create a really good image it's indistinguishable from some, from something that was taken with a giant you know D3S or something so or you know our canon or whatever so with that said how does that factor into this body and like Like You were saying that you would never carry this camera around, and I agree. I probably wouldn't buy this camera either, but how does that factor into, okay, this is a highly capable camera, and your brain is just wired to think that if it's not a proper DSLR of this weight and girth, then it's not going to do the right job?
4: Well, I think Jeff makes a good point about sort of the perception of, of beginners that an SLR of any kind, shape, or form is intimidating and big for them, right? Coming from a point-and-shoot up to, say, a bridge camera. I mean, they find, like, the Canon G12 is big for some people, right? Yeah. So this yeah. the, even this SL1 is still, for them, it's huge. Like, I'll hand my camera to people that I'm tutoring or students in my class, you know, with the 24-to-105 on it, and they go, they go, uh, you know, that's, that's really heavy. They don't get it. But in terms of this is a heavy uh, camera, this makes this this
1: probably makes great pictures.
4: (laughs) Yeah, but in terms of professionality and um, how you're perceived in the industry, I think it depends on what industry you're in. You know, like uh, I'm not doing weddings anymore, but if I was, the number of people that have SLRs, if I was to go to a wedding and shoot it today, um, for example, I did my cousin's wedding in September last year. There were so many people with SLRs there with lenses just as big as mine and almost just as good a camera body that, you know, who's the pro, right? It mm-hmm, used to be mm-hmm. that you'd show up, I'd show up with a Hasselblad and nobody has that, right? So clearly I'm the, I'm the photographer. So I think the lines are becoming a lot more grayed because people that can afford all the goodies, you know, look like a pro where they may not necessarily have the skills of a pro.
1: Yeah. Doug, where where do you fall on that perception? You know, perception versus reality having a big camera. In your in your your in your case. So you're I would put you in the category of advanced amateur. You don't you don't pay your mortgage with photography, but you are a highly competent. Some probably surpassing a lot of pros in terms of the quality of your work. So when you go out, do you care what people think with regarding what camera body you take, even on photo walks when you're surrounded by other photographers.
2: Can we just stop right with the compliments and not go past that? I like those compliments, <laughs> uh, No, I mean, I, th- you're right, though. I don't, I, I think I'm past the point where I have to impress anybody. Um, if I impress anybody, it's my photographer friends, and for them, they're probably more impressed that I'm out there with a Micro Four Thirds camera than with a big Nikon. They've they've seen me out there with a D3S. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've sort of I've got over that at this point, uh, but yeah I'm I mean, in a particular case, you know i'm I'm perfectly happy to have a small camera as long as I can get great images.
1: I don't know. It seems like I, like things are, it used to be, okay, I want to, I want to show up and I want to look like a photographer. And I understand there are cases like with wedding photographers or commercial photographers, for example, a lot of it, it's theater. You have to show up and look the part and look like whatever they wrote the check for that, okay, they're getting what they paid for. So you have to play that regardless of if you could do the same thing with a, with a micro four thirds or whatever. But it just seems like on the, like say you're on a photo walk, it seems like, It would be more powerful if you show up, everyone sees you, and you show up. I got one little 50 or something on my little micro four-thirds, and I'm walking around, and I'm doing my shots, and then they see the shots afterwards, and they blow everyone else's away that showed up with borrow lenses in you know, a warehouse in the back of their car. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it would have it's, much more impact. The, the,
2: the other thing that will cure cure you of that is to go all the way, you know, and hand hold a 400 millimeter lens uh, <laughs> for 8 hours.
1: Yeah. And
2: uh, you know, you'll 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 learn to appreciate small and innocuous devices.
1: Yeah, we'll call that camera flogging. We'll just yeah. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. So before we leave this topic across the board, you got eight hundred bucks burnt in your pocket. Would you roll out and pick up this camera, Darlene?
4: No, I'm going for the Olympus.
1: No, Doug, would you go pick it
2: up? Uh, same for me. I'm in Darlene's camp.
1: All right, Jeff, you got eight hundred bucks. You gonna go get this?
3: Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think so. I I think the only thing that kind of um, where it might come into play is if you're looking for um, a smaller package. You know, if you have a lot of lenses already and maybe you want to just have a smaller package to attach the lenses for a smaller vacation camera or something like that, um, that might be the only thing I could think of.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And me personally, I would not get it because I'm like I said, I'm in the market for a micro four thirds camera and and specifically because I want something small that I can just throw in a really tiny bag with my iPad mini and be like ninja out there just shooting with a Derek Story introduced me to this little his little tripod that, I don't know, somehow manages to bend space and time and collapses down into nothing, but it's still sturdy when you expand it. So that goes in the bag. All this all this stuff, I'm trying to get smaller and tighter so that, you know, I'm able to do things quicker and instantly rather than making a conscious decision. Say, okay, I'm going out shooting. Let me go to my gear shelf. Okay, I need this. I need that. I'm going to shoot this. I need this laptop, all this stuff. I just want to be able to bounce out there and get it. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me.
4: Are you giving us eight hundred dollars, Frederick?
1: Um, cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, way,
4: no. Oh, come on.
1: Hey. I was going to say something witty, but they're like, no. no yeah. It's <laughs>
2: hey, Frederick, the uh, the camera that I was. Thinking of is the Panasonic Lumix uh, DMC GH3, the new GH3. That's the one that uh, I think people should check out. Compare that to the OMD e- E5M. I think those are the two contenders right now in the Micro Four Thirds world.
1: I wish they would just get like their marketing people. I wish they would start with just normal names again. Like name, like name this. What is it? Mm-hmm. DMC GH3. Name it something like the Chameleon or something. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't just, really roll off the tongue, yeah, really. And
2: it's not just the Panasonic. It's the Panasonic Lumix DMCGH3. So it, like,
1: it, who's coming up with that stuff? Like, marketing? Give it a name. Listen. Come
2: on. It's like, you know, it's it's just like the uh, long lenses. The more numbers and letters, the better the camera.
1: I guess so. You can, yeah. you can move the decimal point over. That's right. All right, guys. Story number two. <clears throat> this is about a photographer who sued his subject a photographer who sued his subject over copyright infringement. Let me read this to you. It says, uh, photographer, Brian Mask, M-A-S-C-K, shot an iconic photograph of football icon Desmond Howard striking the Heisman pose back in 1991, just days before Howard would receive the Heisman trophy for the Heisman trophy." The photograph went on, uh, went on to a life of its own, being manipulated, desaturated, cropped, photoshopped to fit a variety of purposes. And Mask initially received five hundred bucks from Sports Illustrated when the image went viral. The photographer, but when the image went viral, the photographer was left out of the profit. So the guy that shot it didn't get any of the money. All he got was five hundred bucks, less than it would take to buy that camera that we were just talking about. <laughs> So, after 20 years, or nearly 20 years, Mass saw that his image was being used in advertising from Walmart, uh, Nissan, etc., um, etc., cetera, et cetera, all those places. So, he decided he wanted to act and approach the football star asking him for 200 grand to 300 grand after the fact for the rights of the image. Howard walked away. Later in 2011, Mass finally registered, finally, it's to underline that, finally registered the image with the U.S. copyright. For office and now he's suing alleging that Howard himself has unlawfully used the image on his website and that a host of companies have used his image for years without permission for all kinds of commercial purposes. Doug K. What do you think of this? I mean does, does he have a, does the photographer Brian Mask have a leg to stand on here because or is it is the if you were if you're the judge and and this football star and the photographer are standing before you, explaining this to you. Whose side would you would you fall on?
2: Well, from having read all the sort of supporting materials that our producer so nicely put together for us,
1: yes, um,
2: a couple of things are important. One, he didn't register it prior to the use, so he's no no way he's going to be entitled to anything in the uh, uh, in the damages. Um, He's entitled to basically lost revenues is all he's entitled to. And even that, apparently, I didn't realize this, but there's a three-year statute of limitations. So it would only involve infringements that have happened within the last three years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think he's looking at getting much money for this.
1: Yeah, it's like re- retroactively. That's saying, you know what, my thing has been out there. Now that I see that it's it's popular, making a lot of money. Let me copyright it and claim damages from people who used it before it was copywritten. I mean, I don't I don't see how that. Goes.
2: Well, the the registration isn't. Remember, it's copyrighted immediately when you take the picture. It's only Correct. a matter of whether it's registered and the registration. Oh, okay. is, registered, yes. Yeah, it's the registration that entitles you to uh, the damages beyond your actual lost revenues, uh, punitive damages. So. But I want to make it a, a, a draw a parallel here. Suppose years ago, those of us who are old enough uh, had a had taken a picture of a very young Barack Obama or a very young Pope Francis I, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we didn't think much of it because he was the neighborhood kid, right? And now years later, that's a very valuable picture, Um you know, we certainly would feel that we're entitled to the ownership of that picture. We certainly wouldn't want someone using that picture without permission or without paying us something for it. So, uh, I mean, emotionally and and uh, 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 morali- morally, I think this guy is entitled to something. Uh, I think legally he's not entitled to much.
1: But, but okay, Jeff, you chime in here on this. It- using Doug's analogy, and it was a young Barack Obama or a young Pope that someone took a photo of, the fact that they then later went on to fame, how how can that weigh into the overall judgment? Does it matter?
3: No, I've, uh, I mean, I think our personal feelings about it are irrelevant because the law is pretty clear mm-hmm. about this sort of thing. And, you know, your, your emotional tied to it doesn't make any difference. If, if, if it's registered, you get paid. If it's not, you're, you, know, you, you don't have a paddle to, to stand on. So, um, uh, I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah. No, yeah but I, I go, think the important thing to, re- to remember, Fred, here is that the reason he probably actually got off his butt and registered this thing is because he listened to TWIP a couple <laughs> months back and uh, <laughs> with the interviews you did with um, um, th- uh, the, the copyright expert and realized he was sitting on a gold mine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, yeah, definitely. I was going to bring that up. I should, I should grab that book over there, the copyright guys. Um, but it that and that's exactly what I was thinking, because what was ringing in my head is what they said was, you know, register everything because you never know what's going to happen in the future. And the, it changes the placement of the decimal point if you've had it registered versus not. Darling, where do you where do you fall on this?
4: Well Doug's little analogy was interesting because there's a difference between the story where the guy took the photo and then the next dot, next day the guy wins the Heisman, right? So that mm-hmm. now he's instantly famous. He should have went and registered it right right then, right? If he hadn't already, you know, I mean mm-hmm. 24 hours would have if- Whatever. In Doug's scenario, like years later, somebody becomes famous, right? Do you go back and say, Oh, I didn't register this thirty, forty, fifty years ago because it was just a snapshot of a neighborhood kid, right? So the guy becomes famous now. Do you register? I think the scenarios are kinda different and I also think he it's you know, he snoozed and now he's unfortunately got a made his bet he's got to lie in it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I mean like I don't know. I mean I could see I can see if I went on a photo walk for example with Doug and hey let a great shot of Doug right there and I take a shot of Doug in front of the bay bridge and it's it's awesome it's iconic and then the next day Doug gets signed to host the tonight show. <laughs> <You> now <laughs> and now, oh, and oh, now oh. And I haven't registered the image, of course, and now I say, oh, crap, I better go register that because it might be worth something now that Doug is, is famous. It just seems, it, it does not seem right.
2: So let me, let, me, let me retract part of what I said or clarify part of what I said. First of all, in the United States, you have 90 days after first publication to register. So in the case of the guy becoming a Heisman Trophy winner the next day, there was a, plenty of time to register that image. Right. Uh, secondly, if you don't publish an image no one will obviously be able to rip you off because it's still sitting on your hard drive, and unless they steal your hard drive, they don't have it. So my practice is I register every published image, no matter where I publish it. If I put it on Facebook or Instagram, uh, it's registered within 90 days, and it's become easier and easier to do, uh, and I'm covered for compensatory as well as punitive damages.
1: What, just just quickly before we move on <clears throat> what's your what's your flow? so I know you're in Lightroom. How do you register this? Do you just like say, okay, everything I shot from the shoot export it and you make a tiny jPEG from it and then that goes to the copyright go-
2: office yeah in Lightroom, I have a collection called uh, copyright's a, co- a collection set called copyright, and one collection in there is called next, and every time I publish something, I drag a copy into the next collection, and then when ninety days have passed i I export those all as JPEGs, put them in a zip file, send them to the copyright office, fill out a form, spend $35, and I'm done.
1: Love it. And you do that for each and every shoot. So every photo walk you do, part of your flow is to go through that that tap dance and and upload
2: them. It's only at the point where I publish. So I might be publishing stuff now from a year ago. That's Mm. not a problem. I only register them when I publish them.
3: Got it. Got it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, one more thing to take note of here is that it really is irrelevant that the guy won the Heisman and he he became very famous uh, because if someone's using one of your images, it doesn't matter what the image is of. If if it is of uh, Barack Obama or a famous football player or a picture of your shoe that you took by accident, if Nissan steals that image and puts it in an ad and you know, men's journal magazine, they're still ripping you off and it doesn't matter what the content of it is, and the same rules still apply. So that's not something to really, you know, it it doesn't need to confuse the issue at all between terms of was he famous or was he not? I mean, stealing your images is stealing your images and at the same token not registering and registering your images is the same thing.
1: Yeah. Darlene, how do you instruct your students and and does does the issue of copyright come up? Do you tell them is it is it a blanket like okay whenever you go out shoot go out shooting just build into your post processing workflow copywriting or do you do you do, you do something different?
4: I, I tend to not talk about it. My students are mostly amateurs and I mean most of the stuff they're publishing is just for their own use, Flickr, Facebook, what have you. And to be honest, I actually don't register my stuff. Um, it's a little different here in Canada. There is a Canadian registry office, mm-hmm. but it's actually quite expensive. They they want a per image fee. So if I send a thousand images, it's going to cost me like a thousand bucks. So it's not like $35 or whatever, like like Doug said, a one-time thing. So, and, and I'm not not entirely sure, maybe I need to buy the copyright book that you are talking about, whether or not I can register as a Canadian with the U.S. registry office.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Yeah, definitely go back and listen to that episode. Just search for copyright on This Week in Photo.
4: Okay. And you'll
1: find it. Yeah. All right, guys, before we we continue with the next story, I want to, because we're on episode 300, I would like all of us to uh, just to do a, a cheers with our swanky lens mugs that we're using. Cheers! Uh, Cheers. three hundred. Yeah. This Woo-hoo. is Sparta. Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> we've made it. Alright. So on to 400. On to episode 400 if we make that. Alright, cool. Alright, so uh, quickly this next story is about well, first of all, do you guys use Snapseed or have you used the desktop version of Snapseed?
2: Yes. Have have tried it.
1: You've tried oh, it? Yep. Darlene? No. No, and Jeff, no, nope. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't used it. it's on my my phone, but I haven't used it on the desktop. But I, maybe that's a reason. So Google has pulled a while ago. They pulled the desktop version of Snapfeed, um, and a lot of people were fearing that Nick was on the roof because Nick got acquired by Google. So they've announced that all of the software. All of the Nick software is now available for one hundred and forty nine dollars. And before this announcement, the bundle of all of Nick's offerings—so Viveza, I'm pronouncing that right their HDR FX Pro, Silver Effects Pro, etc. Was over five hundred bucks. So they've cut it in half, or they've, they've cut it down to five hundred bucks. So you can grab that. And the other cool thing is, and I got an email, and Patrick Reed, who's uh, one of—he put the show notes together for this episode—he got a, a, a note as well. And which I'm sure millions of other people got that said he was going to receive a full copy of Nick's collection, and uh, which I got as well. And I haven't; an, it's in my starred list of things to check later. So I uh, just want to talk about that a little bit, just really quickly, from the standpoint of plugins. So all this is cool; it's great. If you if you got this from Google, if, you know. If not, check it out. Make sure you check your spam filter. But starting Jeff on your side, looking at plugins in general like this or yeah let's look at plugins for like photoshop and lightroom uh, plugins and presets and that sort of thing how you're you're an educator so how do they fit into your world of okay i want to train somebody specifically on how to under get their brain around pixel punishing and manipulation and that sort of thing Do, do these sorts of plugins fit into your your tutelage or are they like okay you got the basics you're on your own go figure out the rest Into my tutelage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was looking for a reason to use that word. I heard it on on the borges, so I had to use it.
3: (laughs) Well, um, it it doesn't fit into my curriculum at all, especially because I'm teaching a beginner class. And I really encourage the students to stay away from all the sort of whiz-bang, bells and whistles kinds of things. Uh, because sometimes I'll get students who do sort of know what they're doing, and they'll try and wow me and wow the class with some whiz bang Photoshop things, and they might have some sort of plugins or something they found themselves, and they'll turn in a series of photos that is in sepia with a vignette, and there's all this texture in it, and this you know uh, you know Miami Vice shading with and all this bizarre looking stuff, and. I tell them in the critique I say, "Okay, this is good. Next time, don't use anything. If you can take good pictures and you can make good images, it doesn't need all this junk." Hmm. Cuz oftentimes I think a lot of people sort of use it as uh especially someone who is um newer um but maybe they have some skills. Like have you ever heard the the term um uh you know enough to be dangerous with mm-hmm. something? Yeah, I've heard so it.
1: I've heard it apply to me, yeah. <laughs>
3: right. You know, the, there's people that get sort of in that, that realm of knowledge where they're not a beginner, but they're not advanced, but they, they sort of know what they're doing, and they kind of screw things up in that manner, and they sort of shoot themselves in the foot, and they use all this crazy stuff when it doesn't matter. So then I really steer these students to, I, I actually I kind of tell them, don't use that stuff. Make images that stand alone by themselves. And then during the Photoshop portion of the class, I teach them very basic stuff. All we learn is uh, we learn levels, we learn brightness and contrast, shadows, highlights, um, vibrance and saturation, and that is about it. And they students still go, well, you know, I know Photoshop, and they'll go and they'll throw all these bizarre filters, and they'll turn in a, a, a file that'll have 45 adjustment layers on it, and I still tell them, like, you – this is a mess. This is just so bizarre what you've done. It doesn't show that you really have an understanding of what you're doing. Strip it all down, just suddenly enhance the things you need. If you've captured a beautiful image in your camera, all you need to do is tweak the levels a little bit, tweak the color a little bit, and it's going to look great.
1: Yeah. So so Doug, I want to get your thoughts on that because I've heard that we, we talked a couple of years ago, we were battling back and forth versus, I think it was about Lightroom presets. And the use of them and should they be used and are they cheating and all that stuff. And it kind of goes to what Jeff was talking about, but specifically what I want to throw to you is, is it, is it a case of like with, the, with Jeff's position, it sounds like, okay, technology, you need to understand the basics first, which I'm a huge proponent of. You need to understand the basics before you can go on and automate stuff and do let technology take care of things for you. Yeah. For but,
3: Rick, I, I always say, I always say you first must know the rules before you can break the rules. I like that. Can you say that backwards like Yoda would say it?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> know the rules you must before break the rules you can. Thank you. All right. Perfect. That's good. On <laughs> the fly. Cool. So then Doug, how does this how does this work if someone's like, well, hey, you know, you're you're living in the past and all this technology's here, computers are faster, imaging is faster, cameras are smarter. Why shouldn't I just use all the technology available to me to create my art? You know what's wrong with that?
2: that? Uh, well, I would just, I'd probably just find myself uh, agreeing with Jeff. I think, you know, having been sucked into it so many times, both in terms of gear and software, uh, yes, you can do some amazing things with these plugins. But the que- and you can make you can make an uh, sort of an average image look very exciting. The question is, will you find it exciting a year from now? Mm-hmm. Uh, will you find it exciting when everybody's image looks exciting in the same way um so i i think it's much better to convince people to try and work without these things to the extent they can in my own workflow i've gone the other way i mean i've used a lot of plugins and i'm now back to doing any post-production almost everything is in photoshop itself i'm not using any plugins except for silver effects pro which is still one of my favorites I, I want to mention one thing about this story, which is yeah. it's, it's not the obvious slant on it, but it has me concerned. Someone asked me the other night, you know, said they, so they canceled Snapseed on the desktop and it's pretty clear. Most people think that Google bought Nick just to get Snapseed on the, uh, the mobile platform, that that was their whole purpose in that acquisition. Let's assume for the moment it is. I'm concerned about the future of the desktop applications. Um, because one of the things they've done by dropping the prices so much is they've really put a they they've really gone after the other people in the plug-in business, Topaz, on one, and so forth. And I worry that uh they may have essentially dumped these things on the marketplace in order to wipe out that competition. Google has an unfair advantage in that marketplace because they can uh use the power that they have in other parts of their business. They're essentially killing the competition. Uh, and then, what happens now if they lose the competition? They cease to upgrade these components to the way in the way that Nick was, or they might even drop them. Uh, yeah. So that's got me worded.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and that that's a good point. You know, we we haven't talked a lot about that whole this the little micro moves that add up to mega moves over time that we don't notice. You know, it's like baby steps that then end up to like, oh wow, how did that happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, what's what's on one software going to do now that? You know, seventy-five, eighty percent of the of the price of these things has disappeared. Right, it's going to be very difficult for them.
1: Yeah, so it essentially puts them out of business or takes a chunk out of their their profit line. Yeah, darling, so what about you on on, on plugins? That the whole argument of plugins and presets and all that being either cheating or or not not so much cheating, but you know, of course, we all agree that photographers should know the basics and understand their tools before going forward. But how do you feel about leveraging these, these plugins to create stuff and push things forward.
4: Well, I'll give you a little example, Frederick. I teach um, an HDR class, which is a little more advanced than, you know, beginners, so they need to be you know, shooting raw. They need to be using Lightroom or Photoshop of some kind. And one of my first classes that I taught, um, I had, I've had a couple of students in a couple of different of my classes now using the NIC HDR plug in and they basically were sort of questioning the way that I did it and almost I felt like heckling in a way and you know they they pressed a couple of buttons and they came up with this great photo and I said well great but what is it doing you know like what is that slider doing and can you reproduce that and it doesn't work on a different image right like what happens mm-hmm. if you stick a, d- image, a different image in there so they they're kind of losing the connection to the process and, and learning, okay, what is that plugin actually doing? Like, I come from the world of um, shooting film, retouching my negatives with a tiny brush, you know, and yeah, retouching yeah. my prints with a tiny brush, hence why I wear glasses now, you know, I'm <laughs> blind. But um, when I first started doing it digitally, I, I was basically just reproducing the same thing I was doing with a brush. So it was to be natural looking, right? Mm-hmm. Remove the blemishes, make people look a little a little smoother skin, that t- type of thing. And somewhere along the line, you know, retouching and photo editing morphed into this, you know, artistic thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, the, being able to express yourself and be creative is great. But I also think there's something to be said for being able to, to duplicate it and do it again, right? Yeah. If you don't know how you got there in the first place, you press six thousand buttons on six plugins what good is that in terms of of learning and something you said actually struck me because the phrase comes to my mind just because you can do something doesn't mean you should
1: yes yes with great power comes great responsibility i, I claim that quote by the way <laughs> uh no i mean it, it goes down to professionalism and part of being a professional is to understand your tools and be able to cre- repeat results or create a repeatable result and understand how you got to it and once you under- once you have that intrinsic knowledge of a thing or a process then you can make variations on that so i agree with all you guys in the case of plugins yeah, I mean, uh, back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember um, uh, Kai Krauss. Kai Krause, um and Kai's Power Tools. It was KPT. You know, he was one of the first set of plugins that came out for Photoshop. That did all this crazy stuff that you could with math, and you just make all this crazy art with Photoshop. And he published a series of—I uh, don't even think they were blog posts. You just had to find them online somewhere. But it was a he called. It, I think they were like recipes that you could go through. Like you do this, and you bring your brightness slider to this, and you make a channel, and then you you reverse it, and then you so you know you do all this stuff, and then you apply that, and then you have this image that sharpens the edges, and it looks great. You know, so it would you. But going through that stuff, I learned like okay, there's a lot to this. And then the second thing I learned was. You, if you don't understand what his math is doing and why you're dragging that threshold slider over, or why you're you're blurring this layer and then solarizing it or in, or embossing it, you don't un, you don't get it, you know. But. Once you get it, you can start building your own recipes and understand what's going on. And today's plugins are essentially doing everything that he did, only programmatically. It's just, boom, now there's one click, and the processor can handle everything, so I can just crank everything up real time, and it does it for me. So, I don't know, it's exciting. Well, and furthermore,
3: furthermore, along those lines, if you don't understand the logic behind what you're doing, when you get in the trouble, you can't fix it. Right. Because any student can kind of stumble along and make a bunch of clicks and end up with something that looks great, but if something goes wrong along the way, they have no idea to go back, retrace their steps, and fix any problems that happen. Same way if you're out shooting, you're doing something... There's challenges that you need to deal with. If you don't understand the manual functions and all those things like that, you know, if you're just like a green square auto shooter, mm-hmm. problems come along, you're, you're stuck. You, you can't do anything with it.
1: You get a great shot. You're like, wow, I got a great shot. How did I do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't do it again, but I got you know, a great there's shot. A, there,
2: there's a good test for this if you're a Photoshop user, and that is uh, are you confident enough that you can work on an image for quite a while and then just flatten it, merge all the layers? Uh if you if you're confident enough that you can do that, then it's no longer a gimmick. You know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I is- only
4: use one plugin, Frederick. Like I use the Topaz Adjust and I rarely use it, but the only time I use it is on my HDR stuff that I want a little bit sort of, you know, grungier looking like an old barn or something, but for the most part. That's that's it. I tell my students, same thing as Jeff, stay away from them, you know, learn how to, because all that stuff is already in Lightroom, it's already in Photoshop, you're paying extra money on top of, you know, how many billions of dollars we already give Adobe to uh, to do that magic for you.
1: But you know you know, where I would argue on that point is, there's this plugin that I use a lot, it's called Portraiture from ImageNomic, and it is designed specifically for retouching and, and smoothing skin tones while not... Destroying the detail in areas that don't need the detail destroyed, like hairs and eye- hair and eyebrows and the mouth and all that stuff. It knows um, about faces. Yeah, it knows about faces. It knows what to touch and what not to touch, and it it it's amazing. I mean, this piece of software, I I went through, and there's like a million tutorials online about how to retouch. Scott Kelby has some retouching things, and a bunch of his books on how to how to make faces look great, how to you know remove hairs, all this stuff, brighten eyes. It's all in there. But then this plug or it's it's not really a plugin, it's kind of a standalone that's invoked from within Photoshop and it just brings the data into it and round trips it. But it just does magic to faces and gets uh within a couple of minutes, it gets a face to what would have taken me literally an hour or two hours to get to doing it by hand. So when I look at that kind of stuff, which is it's time saving and allowing me to be more creative as a photographer even when i shoot i'm like okay i'm shooting this model and you know you may have some issues going on cosmetically and i know later that you know those are going to be gone no problem so i cannot worry about those when i'm shooting or lighting to minimize those because i know later in post i can really easily get rid of them and make sure i just get the raw material for it i don't know
3: yeah well that's where plugins count coming out the other end for people like us, people who are advanced and professional. Time is money to us, and we know the logic we know how to do it in fifty clicks in Photoshop. If we can do it in one click with a plug uh th- you
1: know that's fair game as far as yeah. we're concerned yeah yep yeah, I agree well I mean the, I guess the bottom line is you know there are no like we say all the time on the show, there are no hard and fast rules for any of this stuff it's Just play with it. It's all tools. It's all fun. It's like a room full of Play-Doh and Legos. Just keep playing with it. All right. Before we go on, um, I want to give a nod to our first sponsor, and that's Carbonite. This episode is brought to you by the folks over at Carbonite Online Backup. And you know, we we've been talking about this on the show a lot, and we we talk about the importance of backup and the importance of having redundancy. In fact, Alex Lindsay um, is, is known for saying, at least in my mind, is known for saying that data does not exist unless it exists in three places. So, <laughs> so if you take a shot, it's got to be on your memory card. It's got to be on a, a drive somewhere and another drive in order for it to actually exist. Um, and Carbonite helps with that by putting pumping up your files into the cloud. And the cool thing about the way Carbonite works is it's in the background. So it's not like you've got to remember instead set a calendar invite to say, okay, all right, time to back up. I need to do all this stuff and go through it. It just does it in the, in the background while you're doing stuff. So it backs up your files for you automatically and continually, and it does this whenever you're connected to the Internet. So you never have to worry about backing up again. Once you install it, you're done. You don't have to worry about backing up again. Ever. So you get unlimited backup space for your PC or Mac. They charge you fifty nine bucks a year, which is nothing for the insurance, especially in a disaster, if you lose all your stuff and sixty bucks that you paid for the year to get everything back is just insane. If you run a small business, they have plans designed to back up your computers, your servers, your external hard drives, for all for one low annual flat fee. You can get a free trial of Carbonite.com. Just go over to their site, Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TWIP, T-W-I-P, and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy it. That's Carbonite.com dot com and use the offer code TWIP for two bonus months. All right, guys, this is my this is an exciting time for TWIP. This is the first time that we'll be doing a critique. Um, so, the first image that we're going to critique, and I'm going to try to bring this image up in uh, the Hangout. Actually, you guys can you can bring it up separately because we're, we're recording this as audio, so it doesn't really matter. So um, bring this image up, and I want you guys to... The first one is from Steve Brokaw, and it's a model, and I'm describing this to the audio audience. Um, this is a model. It's a beautiful model that's apparently blonde or fair-haired of some type. This is a black-and-white photo. She's got a short leather jacket that's showing her midriff and tight black and white stretch pants on at the bottom so that's kind of the gist of the image if you want to see this image just go to go to our uh community on google plus or look up steve brokaw online or look at the blog post for this episode so darlene first you've seen this image looking at it just you know with 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 just sort of fresh eyes when you first see this image is it a successful image or is there something wrong with it let's start there
4: I would say overall, yeah, it's quite successful. It's it's obviously in the realm of fashion photography, which is not my expertise. Um, you know, I am come from a world of portrait wedding. Clearly, the photographer has a grasp on how to light people and how to do beauty type lighting. He's got a really nice butterfly. He's probably using a beauty dish or something. Um, he's got, you know, some sex appeal happening. She's got some attitude. My, I guess my comment would be about the The pants, like, and I know it's a fashion shoot, and I don't know if they're, you know, he's advertising the the outfit or the pants or what have you, but that's the first place my eye goes, and I I don't want to like I just go right to her legs because of those stripes, and I think that overall it would be better if she was wearing just a solid pant of some kind. Yeah, but I think technically it's really well done. It's it's well lit. I might like to see a little more space above her her eyebrows are almost cropped off. But I like the composition off-centered. It's got some uh, some tension. Yeah. I like it.
1: You like it, so you give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I like it. All right, Doug. Looking at this image and the the composition of it, you know, like he's slightly cr- coppering off her elbow on the on the left side of the frame, and of course the top of her head. Is that successful? Does that add to the energy and the excitement of this image, or would you say that it's uh, you know, is is detracting?
2: Well, first of all, I want to say I love this segment because. I do a lot of photo competition here, Mm -hmm. and this is my chance to get even. So so I love this. Um, You know, it's funny. Darlene and I, I'm surprised, I guess, that we both saw exactly the same issues with the picture. Uh, The image, first of all, it's cropped on three sides. Uh, Luckily, he didn't take off her hands because that's one of the rules, which is never cut off the arms or or something. Um, The big problem, as she said, is the striped pants. They are the most contrasty part of the picture, and your eyes will go right there. Uh, I also agree with her that there's just not it's a little too tight on the top. I want to see a little more of her face. Uh, I want to be, I want to, when I go to look at her face, it's frustrating because I don't get a chance to, I don't feel I can see her face. Mm -hmm. Part of it is a little bit of hair in the eye too. But, um, uh, you know, technically well executed. Um, not sure what the point of the picture is, if it's just an overall fashion look or if it's, you know, if the intention might be to promote one or more of the, uh, uh, the, the pieces of clothing. But the the pants are the big problem. One one thing you can do in this is you can hold something up and just crop it off above the waist of the pants, mm-hmm. so that the the navel is the bottom more or less. Uh, yeah. Of course, you do lose her hands, but it totally changes the impact of the picture and uh, allows you to see her a little more.
1: I think I think I'm okay with the pants. I think you could have lost a little bit of the pants and and given me more of the top of her head. Right, so like maybe just pan the frame up because I like the pants and I like the I like the stance of her hands. I think that the there's too much of her pants showing, so I would probably crop this right below her hands, right? So that you get her hands in there and and you can see that the the converging lines of the the vertical stripes are or converging down there, but mm-hmm. just below that I want to see that, but then I want to see I want to see a little bit more of her. I mean, she's a gorgeous model. Um, looks to be unless maybe mm-hmm. she's got a bald spot or something at the top that he's trying to <laughs> turn
2: So, so, so the, I mean, the, the problem is that the highlight of the image in terms of tonality is the white stripes in the pants, and yeah. your eye is going to go there.
4: Right? Maybe and there's a plug-in for that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, how would you? How, if you were
1: going to shoot this, I mean, is this a first of all? What would you change if anything of this of this photo? Well,
3: first of all, I I think it's uh, great to uh, look at something like this because. As a beginning photography teacher, I'm used to looking at pictures of dumpsters and alleys and rusty old train tracks <laughs> cuz that's all beginners ever take pictures of.
1: And, and cats, right? Cats. <laughs> yeah,
3: They're. oh my gosh. If I had a nickel for every cat picture I got. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, but you don't have any grumpy cats in there, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I I I have to sort of disagree with you guys on the cropping. Um, I think this is cropped perfectly. Uh, this look is really hot right now. Um in the fashion photography world, um, the way the background is very close to her and you can see her shadows cast on that background. You know, the, there's a white backdrop. It's probably only, uh, maybe 12, 14 inches behind her. Um, for you, Darlene, that's like 20, 30 centimeters. Um, I've been to Canada all the time. I love Canada. Okay. <laughs> um, some of my best notice, friends are Canadian. Maybe, um, In the bottom uh, right of the image, there's a lot of empty space right there, and we really have to look at this picture in the context that there's probably going to be some ad copy in this. There's probably going to be a logo. There's probably going to be some sort of text. And with the awkward cropping of her head and her elbow, if you take text, and it's real in style right now to put text to, To ignore uh, uh, safe margins and bleed edges and things like that, Mm -hmm. text is going to go right up to the edge of this photo. It's going to be kind of cropped really awkwardly and kind of this really edgy way, Um, and it's going to fit perfect with the cropping of this photo. You know, it looks like something you'd see on on a WeTransfer ad background. You know, that something real hip, real trendy right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and yeah, when you say that, yeah, definitely, if he was shooting this specifically, like if you're looking at it and you're shooting this for a magazine spread or a cover or something, yeah, he left some free space on there for copy to go in there. But, yeah, I mean, overall, we agree that this is a good image. This is good, or or do we, Doug, you're yes. your
2: no, 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 I'm not. I'm with
1: okay, you. Okay, good. All right, we like it. So listeners, this week in Photo listeners, go to Steve Brokaw's Google Plus page and chime in in the comments of this photo. Find it. I mean, you can't miss it. Beautiful blonde girl with a uh, with a short leather jacket and black and white striped pants.
2: And thank uh, you, Steve. And- for, thank you, Steve, for willing to be our very first guinea pig on episode three hundred.
1: Absolutely. How cool is that? That is awesome. So this next image is oh, this one's cool. So this is by Dennis. Why do people not have names like Johnson? Come on, just like like, (laughs) Johnson, Smith, you know, Bob or something. So Dennis Grenier, G-R-E-N-I-E-R. It's Grenier.
4: Grenier. See?
1: Thank you. (laughs) Come on, darling. You should have been the one to. uh, And it's Denis.
4: Probably it's Denis.
1: See that? Alright. I'm trying to I'm trying to pull the image up now, but my link is not working properly. Um uh, but you guys go ahead and so you see you see the image in the show notes there. Go ahead and uh tell me what you think about it. So to the users, the users, to the listeners, this is a blurred sort of motion blurred image with looks like camera shake used on purpose of a looks to be a horse-drawn Baby carriage.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a baby carriage; it's just a full-size carriage in some way that's vibrantly
1: lit with bright colors. Nice. All right, you go ahead and take it away, Jeff. Tell us what you think of this image.
3: Ah, uh, well. Uh... Typically, in my sort of class experience, this is an image a student would turn in that was um, something that happened by mistake, and they tried to write it off as something they did on purpose, but oh. I, I bust them on it right away. I said, there's no way you planned something like this. You're just messing around with fireworks creative mode, and you've got this kind of goofy <laughs> picture. <laughs> so in that sense, I would not give this photo a good grade, but um, I definitely am assuming that uh, Mr. Grenier um, certainly knew what he was doing in this photo. Um, and very purposely did the motion capture blur sort of thing. Uh, it, it's really interesting how the um, the real vibrant purples and blues, you know, really pop. I think without that color, it would be a far less effective image because uh, it would just be too messy. Uh, you know, the blur is very significant, and it's it's hard to make out any sort of sharp detail at all. Um, so further down those lines, I think the thing that it is lacking is um, that real clear subject. I really teach my students that every photo, no matter what you do, no matter what you take, has to have a clearly defined subject. This one, it's a little bit hard to argue what it is. There's sort of that orange, um, that gold bit right in there, which is probably some sort of plaque on the front of the carriage. You Mm -hmm. can maybe argue that's the central subject in some way. But still, everything is just blurred out, maybe just a little too much. Um, it would have been really cool to see if he got some other sort of captures where maybe just even one small portion of the image um,
1: remained sharp um, that you could make it out. Yeah. Okay, so overall, you would have not given this a good grade in your course?
3: Uh, in my course, I would encourage them to learn from whatever mistake it was that created this and try to
1: purposely do it again next time <laughs> that's a harsh okay all right I, I have my own opinions i don't i don't i don't agree with that i mean I like I'm going to make the leap, the assumption that Dennis did this on purpose. And then he knows what he's doing. He did, he did this blur effect on purpose. And when yeah, I look yeah, at don't, this...
3: Frederick, don't get me wrong. I was talking about my students, not Mr. Not... Gotcha. Ben. He was... Gotcha. He, yes, he did it on purpose. I was talking about my students.
1: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So what I, when I look at this image, I see a successful image, and I can see an image that... Would look awesome, giant on a wall. Like I can see this in some fancy restaurant, just huge with a, with a fancy black frame on it, just sitting on the wall. You know, it just it looks like one of those images. I don't think it would be successful if it was printed small, but if this was gigantic, it would it just turns into a piece of like a work of art. Doug Kay, what do you what do you think of this image?
2: Well, I agree with Jeff for the most part. So I'll try and just add some additional things. One is. Uh, I really want to see the head of the horse. the The head of the horse is cropped off, and for some reason, that bothers me. Wait, that's what? a
1: horse. Wait, that's a that's
2: a horse. That's a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want to see the front of the horse. Uh, but to reiterate something that Jeff said, you know, the very brightly colored, highly saturated things in the middle are really what draw your eye. That that yellow plaque or something on the front is so bright, and yet when you get there, it's not satisfying. Your eye goes there, and you say, "Great, what is it?" There's also sort of a fleshy thing above it. I don't know what it is. Um, so there's some frustration in the image. I think if the effect had been done quite a bit less, um, Mm. you might've had a more successful image. I think it's just a little overdone.
1: Okay. Gotcha. And Darlene, where do you fall on this image?
4: Well, I'm going to be the opposition on this one because I actually read the uh, description of the image that, that Dennis put up. You can read up. that? Can you can, read well, that
1: description? It's in French. Yeah.
4: Scroll down. It's English after the French.
1: Oh, wait. Um, okay, now I um, see basic, it. Yes.
4: Basically, what he said is that he had it on a slow setting for something else and forgot to change it back. And so it was sort of an accident, but he's kind of asking, well, what does everybody think, right? Um I'm going to say on all the stuff you guys have said are valid, but the first, I, I go with first impressions and, um, I also do some stuff in the fine art world. Like I uh, submit my stuff to galleries and I have my work in galleries here locally and I do art shows and, um, I associate with painters and sculptors and other different modalities of, of artists, right? Yeah. And in an abstract type of piece of art, this would be perfectly acceptable, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's definitely abstracts paintings that I don't get at all, you know, but there are people that do get them and they really enjoy them and they buy them and spend lots of money. Um, Instantly when I saw this picture it made me think of a tuk-tuk ride in Thailand or mm-hmm. India or something like that the colors the bright colors
2: yeah. um,
4: generally the tuk-tuks aren't pulled by horses but you know that's what it made me think of so it gave me a memory and I definitely remember riding those things and it being super bumpy like that so yeah. i mean the fact that it it brought up a story in my mind for me it's 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 working i connected with that image on a different level
1: Awesome. All right. Well, great feedback. Look at that. So our first two critiques for the uh, the critique of, critique of the week. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah. Is Good this, a, is Good this a
1: segment we should continue?
4: Absolutely. I. Yeah,
3: love well, it. I mean, there's great. there's just such just by these two pictures alone, there's such a variety of what you could possibly have out there. It's great to see such uh, you know
1: to explore those different types of things. I know. Yeah. I would encourage you guys to go go check out go to the 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 Twip Google Plus community and look at the the critique of the week um, area that we put in there and look at the submissions in there. This is just amazing work. It's like I get, I'm get i intimidated looking at the work that our listeners have submitted in there, almost like I'm intimidated by posting anything on 500 picks. It was like, you know, I'm not worthy to be talking to you people. <laughs> so.
2: and, and I think it's fair to say, you know, um, Darlene mentioned, sort of said, whether the image, the second one, was acceptable or not. But I think it's very acceptable. Mm-hmm. I think our our role here probably is to offer, um, you know, what do we like about it, and what do we have, what do we see in terms of room for improvement. And almost every image has some room for improvement. So I think uh, no one should be discouraged by anything that they hear on the show here.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All both of those images were were awesome, and I'd be proud to. To hang them both in my house framed so very good work to both steve and dennis and thank you both for your submissions this week and remember listeners if you'd like to submit an image of yours to the critique of the week just head over to our google community on uh, or to the twip community on google plus and stick it in there and if we can we'll get to it all right before we continue with the the ending or the the ending of episode 300 or the last part Um, I want to give a nod to one of our other sponsors, and that's Shutterstock.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock. Um, At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your very next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. They've got over 20 million with an M, high quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, video clips, all kinds of stuff there that you can use for your project. So it's not just photos, it's photos and creative assets that you can use to incorporate into what you're doing. They've even got like PDF ebook templates and things like that where you can just go download and get going right away with what you need to do. So not just photos, it's an amazing source of images. And they come from around the world, they're at your fingertips and many of the shutterstock contributors are professional photographers so much like other you know like if you if you want to license images from other places you get your shutterstock account and you get your images from here you also have images or license or access to the other 20 million plus pieces of artwork that they have in there and they're adding over 10,000 images to the library each and every day. So every time you go in there, you're gonna find something new. So they've got uh, uh, an app that you can use that's amazing. I've used the app just for ideation and just exploring to find different photos to use. So as we record these shows of This Week in Photo, well, Shutterstock was gracious enough to give us an account that we can use to pull images down to put on the show to show you guys kind of what these look like. So um, well, I'm going to embed an image or two that I found, one of my favorite images, or one of the favorite images that I found on Shutterstock that's in my gallery. I'm going to put it in the blog post for this episode so you can check it out and kind of see the kind of stuff that you can get off of the, the site. So you can you can sign up for them today. Just get a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just start – an account and begin using Shutterstock to start dreaming about what this next project is that you're going to build whether it's a website, it's a p- you know, an ebook or photography whatever then if you decide that you want to purchase an account just use the offer code TWIP3 on a new account and you'll receive 30% off any package at shutterstock.com shutterstock.com and get 30% off new accounts with the offer code TWIP3 and thank you so much Shutterstock for your support of this week in photo and episode three hundred, all right, guys. Quickly, let's jump into the pick of the week segment. This is uh, this is the segment where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the listeners, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Doug K, you go first. What's your pick of well, the
2: week? Well, now after our discussion about Photoshop plugins, I'm going to back out of that one. <laughs> Uh, You're gonna recommend a plugin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. It's a special one. This now this is only for advanced Photoshop users. But Don Margulis is uh, sort of a guru of LAB color in particular, and sort of a guru of a lot in the world of uh, retouching. He's got a new book out called I'm not gonna read the whole title is Oh, you hey, will read Modern Photoshop Color Workflow: The Quarter Tone Quandary. The, uh, the PPW, which is the Picture Postcard Workflow, Other Ideas for Speedy Image Enhancement. That's the title alone. <laughs> uh, the book is obviously quite large. It's $65. Uh, he's brilliant. If you can get past his writing style, which is worth it. Uh, but along with it is a plug-in for Photoshop called the Picture Postcard Workflow. This is version 3. Uh, I've been using version 2, and uh, it's got some very powerful things in it. So if you're very geeky uh, and you want to get into really high-end Photoshop stuff, get in touch with Dan Marglis and uh, follow his stuff.
1: Awesome. Very cool. All right, Jeff, what is your pick of the week?
3: Well, I sort of mentioned this a little bit before the last time you interviewed me, but I'll officially do it as a pick of the week now. But uh, I am huge into workflow. I am all about workflow, organization, uh, that sort of thing. And I work off of a project template folder-based system with every project that I do, where um, basically I have a project template folder set up, Uh, that has a naming convention attached to it and a project number attached to it. And within that one main folder, there are about 12, 13, 14 subfolders that apply to all the various applications that I use on a daily basis. Like After Effects, Final Cut Pro, Premiere Pro, Aperture, Lightroom, um, Documents, Word Documents, Presentations, Spreadsheets. So what this template folder has is a place, a folder structure, that will accept any type of document that I will receive for any project. So there's already a predetermined place for every piece of media I will get at any time on any project.
1: That's great. And it automatically generates those folders for you. Well,
3: what the the app does, it's called PostHaste, and it's a a free app by um, a company called Digital Rebellion. Mm -hmm. You can go to digitalrebellion.com to check it out. Uh, And what the app does is it's just a simple little interface that allows you to call it up it auto increments the project number for you. You fill in your custom text, whatever you need. It'll tell you. It'll auto fill in clients and editors if you're working in a group, and then it duplicates the folder for you and it puts it in the right place. And everything is all taken care of with one simple keystroke. That's um, which is super. <laughs> which is super super awesome. Uh, one thing it'll even do is if, because um, furthermore, in my project template folder, I have. Um, Project templates already made. Like I'll have an After Effects project in there. So when you launch that After Effects project, it's already populated with folders in it. So I don't have to rebuild the same folder structure like comps, pre comps, solids, movies, images. I don't have to do that every single time. It's already there in my After Effects project. And if you take that template project and you put the word template in it as the name, mm-hmm. Post Haste will f- see the word template and it will rename anywhere it sees the word template with the project name. So you can have a very sophisticated project naming convention associated with all your important files as well. And uh, I use it every day. It's uh, essential to me. And um, Digital Rebellion, if you're listening, I've emailed you many times about this. You've got to make it work on a server with a group across multiple (laughs) users. (laughs) Because it's the only thing it doesn't do. To where if you've got five people in an editing house or in a studio working together, uh, you know, they can't keep track of each person generating um, different numbers across different devices. Um, so you'd have to do it manually in some sort of way. But they assure me that it's coming in some way. I said, I'll pay you. I don't care. Make <laughs> it cost 5 bucks or $10. bucks. i will gladly pay for it.
1: Just do it. But uh, check it out, Post Haste from Digital Rebellion. All right, cool. I'll be downloading that right after the show. All right, Darlene Hildebrandt, what is your pick of the week?
4: All right. My pick of the week is uh, a school in Ontario I'm going to be teaching at in August. It's called the Niagara School of Imaging, and uh, it's a five-day int- Intensive workshop, So you get to pick your instructor and you stay with them for the whole time. Um, so you get a really intensive learning experience on one topic. Uh, I've been to so many conventions where, you know, you go to see multiple speakers and you see everybody for like an hour yeah. and you just get a little taste of what you can learn from that person. So you get five days to hang out with that one instructor. So I'm teaching an HDR um, and night photography class, and we're going to be going on location doing some cool stuff. Some of the other topics are um, some, there's environmental portraiture, there's speed lights. Uh, Marilyn Scholin, who does some really cool stuff with painters, doing some uh, painting stuff with photography. Contemporary bridal portraits. Um, there, I think there's 12 or 13 different instructors to choose from. There's a, we have a trade show at the end, and even a costume party, so you can <laughs> come dress up as a pirate or you know wear a big fro or whatever you want. Nice. And uh, it is on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. So, um, but it's a super great deal. It's my first time teaching. I know the guy who's who runs it. I've known him for 20 some years, and uh, it's really really well run school. But think about this: twelve hundred bucks for five days of instruction, your room, and all your meals.
1: That's crazy. That's, That's a good deal. Crazy.
4: So you can wow. you can get to it um, from a link on my site. It's herviewphotography.com/slash Niagara. N I A G A R A.
1: Perfect. Thank you for spelling that because I always mess up Niagara. Uh, uh,
4: yeah, if you spell it wrong, you'll get there too. I, I, I took I took care of that.
1: And we'll link to it. We'll link to it from this uh, from the notes for this show as well. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, darling. I Appreciate that. All right, and uh, just to wrap it up, my pick of the week is a guy Matthew Granger. He's going to be on this week in photo. Hopefully, as I'm going to try to wring his arm to come on as a co-host from time to time. But I'm going to interview him. I think next week. And if you're a Nikon guy, you may have already been to his site, Doug. Um, he's called That Nikon Guy. And uh, and his website is thatnikonguy.com. And he the cool thing about him, so his site has all these resources and videos and all this cool stuff for photographers from, uh, I don't know if it's specifically from a Nikon perspective, but, you know. It's photography. Um, cool site. Definitely check that out. But my pick is he's doing this Kickstarter project right now that he's only half-funded on. He's halfway through and half-funded. So it looks like he might make it, but he might miss. So um, we'll put the link to it. It's called um, The uh, Private Bodies. And what he's doing is he's doing he's – doing, I want to say that they're all nudes of just random people and – doing him artistically and creating a book from that it's really well done and look at the video that he, or the the what he's put on the kickstarter page to sort of describe what he's doing but before you click on the link in the notes for this episode note that it's not safe for work so don't do it don't look at this link while you are you know and with your boss sitting behind you, definitely check it out at home. But it's uh, it's artistic stuff. It's really cool, really clean, and you know this guy definitely knows what he's doing. And hopefully, will be wringing his arm to come on and contribute to the this week in photo audience or to the uh, to the collective here. So definitely check it out, Matthew Granger, that dot com. Alright folks, we are at the end of episode three hundred of this week in photo and uh, we're or at the beginning of the next three hundred episodes of this this week in photo. Let's start with Mr Doug K. Doug, where can people go to find out nice darling, where can people go to find out more about you online? <laughs>
2: Oh, sorry, I'm busy looking at private bodies. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the best place to go is DougK.com, D-O-U-G-K-A-Y-E.com. And if you're interested in advanced Photoshop issues and techniques, click on the link to my blog and you'll see a major article of my notes from a class I taught on luminosity.
1: Oh good, I need that cuz that's a mystifying topic, luminosity and mm-hmm. some other some other sliders in Lightroom. I'm, I I ha- I know what they do, but I don't know why they do what they do. So
2: This is way past the sliders. Good. Good. Go to, go to my blog, you'll see.
1: I will, definitely. Okay. And Mr. Jeffrey Carrion, where can people go to find out more about you and your stuff?
3: Well, first I can say that private bodies is A okay and safe for work for me because in hydro education we have this thing called academic freedom, which means we are it is A okay <laughs> to show that sort of thing. And sometimes oh, yeah. it's good to put a little shock value into the students in the first week or two to show them sort of what's possible out there. Uh, Anyway, um, I am a a fellow podcaster myself Uh, in my other life besides my work life, my educational life and my family life. um, I'm also a triathlete, a veteran triathlete of more than 15 years and i run a triathlon-related podcast. Uh, me and my buddy Eric have been doing that for the better part of five years now. And you can find us at theagegrouper.com, as in an age group athlete, theagegrouper.com, or you can search for uh, The Age Grouper on Twitter. Excellent. All right. Well,
1: welcome back, and thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right. And finally, Ms. Darlene Hildebrandt. With, uh, if you're watching <laughs> this hangout or the video after the fact, Darlene has a... Birthday <laughs> hat on and a cake. I'm, as, I'm assuming those are for me. So thank you. Of
4: course, for it's for the 300th show. Of course. Did you put 300 can, or
1: 300 candles on that cake?
4: What's going I'll on? work on that. I'll work yeah. on that. All right.
1: <laughs> All right. Cool. Where can people go to keep up with you and your stuff?
4: People can find me on my website, herviewphotography.com. I'm on Twitter as Pro Photo Tutor. And you can find me on Google+. Plus, and I'm also a frequent writer on Digital Photography School. I'm going to be doing hopefully about an article a week if I can, if I can keep up.
1: Very cool. Yeah, DPS, I love them. That's, yeah, that's a, an amazing site. Definitely check out your articles over there, listeners, Darlene's articles. But check out the site as well, DPS or digitalphotographyschool.com. It's an amazing resource if you haven't seen it already. All right. Wow, I can't believe it. I don't want the show to end. All right. Um, listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com And also, please join our community on Google Plus now and submit an image for our critique of the week if you'd like us to look at it and, and rip it apart or sing its praises. We ne- can never be sure what we're going to do. <clears throat> and finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or mediabites.com. And with that... It's time to take that lens cap off. And if you're still here and haven't taken that lens, (laughs) you haven't taken that lens cap off yet. This is the interview. Coming up next is going to be the interview with Mr. Jared Polin of froknowsphoto.com. And uh, Jared and I sat down earlier this week just to, to shoot the breeze and talk about him and this empire that he's built out, built up on YouTube and on his website and a number of other places. Amazing guy, smart photographer, smart as a whip. And uh, you know, we both had a little ADD in this interview, and I think it's uh it's exciting. So give this a listen. This is gonna be a really interesting show slash conversation because I was able to wrangle the one and only Jared Poland here, also known as Fro Nose, the Fro, the amazing dude. So just a little background on Jared, we're gonna dive into that, but um looking at my notes here, his YouTube channel's been up since 2008, and since then he's had over twenty or yeah, twenty-eight
0: million. I'm calling you off on that one. Hold on. I didn't start putting up videos until June 1st of 2010. On that, so
1: okay, so 2010, and you got 28 million views already. 163 some odd thousand subscribers. You have a podcast. You have a store. You do workshops or boot camps. All this stuff. You are you are living the life. You are the content creator that we always talk about on the show. So thank you for coming on. And we this is an unstructured show. Normally I have like notes of what I'm going to ask the interviewee, but you and I are just going to talk, and I have a feeling it's going to be interesting.
0: That's (laughs) how I like it. I I like talking, um, more so than structure. Structure doesn't work. You know, just throw me out there. Just ask questions, you know? You you get into those interviews where people are like, throw me the questions beforehand, and it's like, No. Just ask me shit, and I'm going to tell you answers right then and there. Yeah, yeah, people get people get afraid. Okay, so let's – let's
1: give me your background first before we dive into the stuff that I'm going to – you know, we're going to bat around. You, well, why did you get Eastern into photography? European,
0: Eastern European, a little bit of Polish. Uh, we've got the <laughs> – it was a joke. You're allowed to laugh. Um, <laughs> why would I get into photography?
1: <laughs> yeah, why would you get into it? What's, the, what's the deal?
0: I started shooting at 13. Um, mm-hmm. I was in junior high school, and I was sitting on the sidelines watching basketball, uh, and there were the yearbook, quote-unquote, yearbook girls, photographers that were taking pictures, and I and I was like, well, why aren't they shooting the action? Why are they just shooting the guys standing around? Why are they doing this? And, and so instead of doing the thing like, you suck, you know, pointing it out, I, I picked up a camera myself, went home, uh, borrowed my mom's Fuji Discovery 1000, which is actually under the desk here right now, mm. and started shooting with a point and shoot. So it wasn't like I knew what the hell I was doing. The camera did all the work. I just had the anticipation and the and the know-how to just the composition, it just it, it was just there. It 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 was one of those things where it was just there. You were like, "Okay, this is what I want to do." This is Well, yeah, and I, I enjoyed capturing the moments and and you know, it still took 10 years to Maybe un- to finally get into manual to understand what in the world I was doing. I lived in the running man mode. I thought, hey, it's the sports mode. There's He's running. I better use that. I didn't know what it was doing. But like I, like I tell everybody, um, if you can get the eye, if you can train yourself, if you can capture moments, I don't give a shit if it's – can I curse? You, go ahead. It's the Internet. I don't give a shit if if – if you have the most underexposed or overexposed image, if I can tell that you captured the composition or you captured the moment properly, we can teach you how to get a proper exposure. That's just something that comes with practice and time. But it's much harder. It's not impossible to help people who don't get it right away, the composition and and, and seeing the moment. But the people that get that, I'd rather see an image that isn't just exposed properly because we can teach you that
1: yeah now what, what about just the direction that you took over the 10 years you know since you, you picked up that first camera and then today i'm looking at your looking at your site years. and your YouTube. 18 years so looking at your site and your youtube I'm channel 57 and all that
0: seven years old
1: whatever and you're all over the place in terms of like you know you're talking about drobos you're talking about raw you got you know all this stuff where what kind of photographer would you say you are yeah exactly
0: I capture. I like to uh, capture moments. I like to tell stories. I don't want to be cliche like I capture moments, but it's. I like photo stories. It's not just one image that, that encapsulates what I do. It's spending a day with an artist or a musician or just in anybody, because everybody has a story to be captured. Wherever they're working, are they a butcher? Are they a, an accountant? I can make an accountant look fun, because the challenge is telling that story of the day. So I have a way of of just interacting with people and them giving me the access and and allowing me to capture their life in a way that some people may not have the opportunity. And that works with musicians. Like, for example, Matis Yahoo. A lot of people may know him. A lot of people don't. A reggae-rapping Jewish guy. And I basically called his manager to get access. I said, here's what I'd like to do. I would like to spend the day with Matis, But here's my work. You know, I led with my work. This is what I've done in the past. This is what I'd like to do. And I spent 12 hours with him. It was just he Mm -hmm. and I, whether it was on his tour bus, up in his uh, dressing room, going out to dinner. Um, And I asked him, I I said, Montes, why did you say yes to me coming out here on the road, to to spending the day with you? He said, first off, my manager said you're the real deal because your work was there because you could back it up. And the Mm -hmm. other thing is like, you know, you you just – you're not – that typical fan you're not that guy just trying to get backstage to do something you try you're trying to do something different and that's what i like and that's i was like thank you you know thank you for the access ask for the access and so i asked for that i know i always go off on tangents off of questions and then i finally bring it back around to the what it was all about but um what was it what was the question again
1: um, how did you develop your style, and what is that style? Yeah.
0: Right. So, so the style of shooting, when I first started, it was all sports. From mm-hmm. 13 till about 19 and 20 years old, uh, until Almost Famous came out, and I started to get into music, the music scene was it was sports. And at 16, I started shooting the Philadelphia Flyers. I had a, a full-season credential for a couple of years. I was shooting for a magazine local when magazines could sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was like 16, 17 years old, and they'd cut me an $800 check for two shoots it's like, holy crap, $800. You know, what other 16- and 17-year-old that's not selling weed or crack or something is going to make that kind of money? Yeah, yeah, But it wasn't about the money. It was just the love. I loved hockey, and I had access to go as a 16-year-old kid walking the hallways with these professional athletes getting stopped about every 12 seconds because um, I looked like a kid. Uh, but, you know, it, it, that was my introduction. I, I, I started shooting the sports. So then, uh, and then this, No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say how I, how I started with the, uh, I don't want to bore the piss out of anybody, but the, the one turning point came in college when the one teacher who I had who was a 4x5 teacher, he shot 4x5, that was his major thing, and he said to me, um, you know, you're very good at shooting sports, but it's going to get boring if all you do is freeze the action that's in front of you. He's like, don't forget there's a whole world that's going on behind the scenes. There's kids in the stands with their parents. There's, yes. there's the Zamboni driver doing, you know, fixing the Zamboni. And from that moment on, that changed the type of images I captured. It wasn't just the action on the ice. I saw what was going on behind stage. So when people are just shooting in front of stage, I'm finding a way backstage. If they go to the left, I'm going to the right. I want to be different. I've always been different, so I wanted to set myself apart.
1: I know that, so that, it's, and that goes back to what you were saying before about telling stories, right? So instead of just saying, "Okay, look, here's the three hundred and seventy-fifth layup that I've taken photo of," now I'm going to go backstage after the layout and take a shot of the guy that's wrapping up his ankle or
0: something like that, right? Yeah, it, it all encompasses a story, and and that's what I like. I like that you can. You can look at a set of image, Im- images, 25, 30, 40. I mean, I just did a shoot with a band the first time they played in six years, a band called Silvertide that's a very good rock band. And I started at 2.30 in the afternoon, and I finished about 1 in the morning. But the story of the day, nobody has that because most people just got to shoot the show, and nobody else was shooting in the pit with me. It was just me in the pit because I wanted to be alone in the pit. But when, you, when you're doing that kind of stuff, say and that's like that's like – that's photojournalism, basically, right? So when you're
1: doing yeah. those kind of assignments, what do you bring in with you? Are you bring? Are you the guy that's like, okay, I'm bringing one DSLR and a 50 mil lens. That's it, or do you have a bag no, full of stuff?
0: It, I, I have a bag full of stuff, but I own one professional body. I own a D4, which Nikon has right now because I sent it back because of the back Nikon. back focusing issues. But um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. but I have a. I've always had one professional body, and the reason is. They're so freaking expensive. If you buy two D4s and then you go and get D4s, you've just lost about $10,000 of value. So I've always been a fan for me professionally. Buy the best gear you can. When it comes to bodies, you dump them as soon as the next one comes out, roll the money right into the next body, and it's a two-year-long investment. That's for me. That's not for everybody. That's me as a professional, not the beginners, not the people working their way up, invest in glass. It all comes down to glass. So you, you ask me what, what I take. I have the Hebrew Trinity, the 14 to 24, the 24 to 70, the 70 to 200 all stay in my bag all the time. And I throw a fish eye in there. Um, you said the Hebrew days. Trinity. <laughs> yeah, I bought that. <laughs> you website. rolled right over <laughs> that.
1: You rolled right over that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's
0: whatever you want to call it. You got the Hebrew Trinity. You got the three amigos. If that's you, you've got the, uh, the Holy Trinity. You've yes. got, I mean, we could go down to every nationality and find the Trinity for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So three lenses and and that's it. So no fixed focal length lenses in there.
0: Uh I mean I have the 35 1.4 right now from Nikon. I have the Sigma one sitting there, but no, I like I like the versatility of the zoom. Yep. I feel for what I do that that allows me to capture what I'm looking for. If I had if if, if I'm on tour with a band, it's a different story because each night you can try something different. So there I would break out an eighty five one four there i'd break out a three hundred two eight there well i don't think I would travel with the three hundred and two eight but you know then you can try the fifty one four and the primes are so beautiful they really really are, but I like the versatility of the zooms for the way that I like to shoot because i want to i like to anticipate the moment i like to know which lens i I like to feel like I have a right the right lens on at the right time and sometimes with the, with the primes you don't really feel that.
1: And when when you're out there so say you're out there you're shooting you you're filling up CF cards or SD cards whatever you know depending on what you're shooting and you get back home then what are you what what's your step? I was looking at your on your on your website and you've got a review on there of the Drobo mini you know is yeah. that where all your images are going what what's the next step after you get home?
0: Well the this, this step happens before I even get home because the D four gives us the two cards. Right. Unfortunately, some moron over at Nikon decided to give us two different freaking cards—an XQD and a CF card—and I yelled at them. I sat in their office the, like two weeks before they announced the camera. You know, they they call some of us up to see these things. Yeah. And I opened the door and I go, "What the hell is this thing?" I'm like, "Either give me two of the new thing, either be all in or be all the hell out. Either give me two CF cards." Or give me two XQD cards. I don't care if I need to get into a new format. It's a dead format. It's D-O-A. Now, yes. uh, Sony doesn't even have a camera that takes it other than the other than video cameras. It's beta all over again. I don't mind. The C- it's a fast-ass card. It connects to my Drobos or my Firewire, and it's fine. But that's my side rant off of that. I use both cards. The reason I use both cards is I shoot raw to both. I have it. Instead of doing raw plus JPEG or one having video and one having still uh, stills, I don't understand that. I don't want to have one have video and one have stills. I want to have my raw files going to both cards, redundant, yeah. because so if you're, one you're card up. fails, yeah, you're backing, backing up in up camera, yeah. Because I have that ability. Cards are cheap as shit. I'll put a 16 gig card in 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 both. I'll get 400 pictures, and I rarely fill that because I don't. I'm not an overshooter, and so that's it. You know, I, I start off with that. I get home. Uh, offload them into the computer just with one of the cards, um, get them in the Lightroom, rename them, back them up. I got the Drobos on my desktop. I got one Drobo. I got two Drobos. One backs up to the other. So there's always triple, quadruple redundancy just because you never know when something's going to fail. The Drobo could take a shit tomorrow, which has happened to people. uh, But, you know, I have two of them. And they're on on their what they call their dual redundant. So if one... One drive or two drives fail at the same time, all your stuff is still safe. But I've got that times two because I've got two of them sitting there. Right,
1: right, yeah. So, so then, okay. So I got the I got out of that. You're, you're a Lightroom guy. Any any reason why? How come not Aperture? Come on.
0: Yeah. Well, do you use Aperture? No. <laughs> right. So I got to ask this question last night when I was speaking, and it's just it came down to Adobe's been around a hell of a lot longer doing image editing. Processing, right? Same no, you're I doing. could be wrong. Somebody's be like, "Well, back in 1983, Apple put out Apple blah blah blah." But no, I I just feel that it's it's it seems to be a more professional type of software. There, are, you know, I, every time I've seen Aperture, it looks toyish. It looks like it's an Apple product. It looks like it's a glorified iPhoto, and I'm sure it processes perfectly fine. Like if I had to use it. I would use it. I've just I've just used Lightroom since Lightroom 1.0, and I stick with it. Yeah, yeah. And you go, you know,
1: you you learn a tool and you stick with it. And it, in the end, and, and I think we we've, we've talked about this before on another hangout that we did. But I think you were saying something about it's not about the gear, right? It's it's yeah. that people get mired in the gear and in the software and, yeah. and and forget about the art side of it. Talk about that Ooh. a little. Bit. Like the, was that was was
0: that the 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 uh, the hangout with all those boring people? Yes, that was that one. That was, that was horrible. <laughs> I I was sitting there. I know. I just you got these people sitting over here just being so boring, and nobody's pushing buttons. And yes. I started to push. But I was getting texts from people who were watching me, being like, "You better do something because this is pretty boring." <laughs> so you know. I don't mind stirring the pot with a good discussion, and I think a good discussion is always needed. Um, but anyway, the question again. <laughs> uh, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> I, was. I don't know. Where are we going
1: with that? I don't know. This is good. I See, this is this is the way that we would normally have a conversation. If we're sitting in New York having drinks, this is how you and I would be talking.
0: Yeah, well, I just – I go well, off we'll, on tangents.
1: We'll come back to that. You know what I wanted to talk oh, about? It was uh, when
0: we were sitting in – it was when we were in the hangout and – and something about art, but, yeah, forget it. It was oh, all right, about gear. Right. Yeah, it was like, yeah, is it is it
1: all about gear or who cares or is it about Look, gear?
0: you can – I say this all the time. You could have a D4 uh, with the worst piece of glass on it and get crappy shots or you could have a D3100 with a pretty good lens on it and get amazing shots. I mean, yeah. the gear doesn't matter. The, sorry. The gear does matter. It really, it, it does. Quality gear is quality gear. I used a D4. I used a D3S. I had a D3. I had a D2XS. And people are always are like, how do you afford that stuff? And it's called buying smart. You yeah. know, you buy smart. You sell your D, I sold my D4, sorry, I sold my D3S for 4500 bucks at the very beginning before they lost their value. I rolled that money right into a D4. So what's it cost me to roll into a D4? 1500 $1,600, yeah. right? It's just yeah. like, I, I can afford that. You know, that made sense. But, you know, quality gear, the reason I use a D4 and and, and use the best stuff that comes out is because I think it can set me apart. I can utilize that. I know what I'm doing. I can utilize that gear to its full potential. I can push that D4 to 10,000, 12,800 ISO and get better results than some cameras are going to be at 800 because the combination of exposure, the combination of shooting raw, the combination of good glass – all put together with a knowledge of just being doing it for so long can help the results. Yeah. But at the same
1: time, having good gear is great. Low light performance, all that stuff, great, la- great glass. But at the same time, on the amateur side, don't let not having what Jared has, you know, stop you from being a great photographer or well, and- even trying to shoot with your iPhone or some crappy camera that you found, right?
0: Right. No, absolutely. You start with something. And to play this up, I, back when I started my site in 2010, I did a thing called the uh, Super Secret Project. I bought a D3000 with a 3518, and I went and I shot it because that camera, its low light capability sucks, but I went and I took it to a concert, and I did behind the scenes stuff. And yes, people yelled at me because I put 14 to 24 on there, and I put a 24 to 70 on there, and I put a 70 to 200 on there. But you know what? That's the I'm not going to put a 55 to 200 on there to shoot something like that because I know I'm not going to get the results. Yeah. But just because you, know, you don't have to buy the Nikon glass, you can pick up the Sigmas, the Tamrons, the Tokinas. You can pick up better glass. It's, it, it comes down to letting that light in. So doing that with a D3000, you, you can hand me, you can hand you a, any camera, and you can get great results with it because you know what you're doing. So it comes, just comes down to learning what you've got before yeah. you worry about buying gear i mean half the 98% of the questions that i get via email are gear related questions yeah
1: well, i mean that's that's the mentality and I, you know we're we're all guilty of it you know when you you first get into something and you look at your heroes that are doing great shots you say hey look at what jill mcnally's doing with all those strobes i need to go buy 24 24- you know, speed lights, because I want to make those kind of images. And then you get sort yeah. of caught in that on that treadmill of, okay, in order for me to be a good photographer, I need a room full of gear. Well,
0: right. there's, there's, there's those people that go out there and teach those seminars that will remain nameless where they go and they put you into a room with 900 other people and start out with the, the beginner basics of understanding photography, and then four hours later, they're trying to teach you flash you if you can't jump from beginner basics right into flash photography. If you don't have an understanding of the basics of the exposure triangle, because it's hand-in-hand hand with flash, you can't jump from, I just picked up my first camera and I learned how to get out of auto, to now this is how you do off-camera flash. You have to learn the basics before you can jump into the basics of the flash. I was just taking right. a knock at people without putting names to it. I know it. I know it. So because you can't just...
1: where would you go with that? I mean, if you're, you're an amateur, right? So you're, there's an amateur photographer, so amateur, and I use the word loosely because amateur can mean, you know, somebody that knows they've been shooting forever. They just don't make any money at it. But this is somebody that's a beginner. They just, they just got a camera. They're excited about it. They're buying magazines and books and subscribing to Linda, you know, all this stuff. They're excited about all this stuff. So what I tell people is understand light first right? Understand the properties of light, the physics of light, how light behaves, get that in your brain. And then everything else starts falling into place. What do you tell people when they come to you and they're like, Hey, Jared, I want to be a photographer. What do I do first? What do you say?
0: Yeah. I, when you start talking physics, you lose me. Cause it's like, I get, I get the Mr. Rogers type of teaching. That's what I like to do. I, I, I make it Easily consumable, but that's for me. That's how yeah. I learned best. Well, I'm a geek. Um, so you're you're cool. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not it. very cool. <laughs> I'm not very cool. I just I just play one on TV. No. Um. I, what I tell people is, you got to go shoot. You just have to go freaking shoot. And I say this like I don't care if you shoot JPEG the first time. I don't care if you leave it in auto. I just want you to get a feel for capturing the image. Capture the moment, anticipate the action, and like I said earlier, we can teach you the other basics after that. Use auto to get out of auto. If you take a picture in auto, you look at the settings and go, "Oh, that's what I could I could set my camera to that, and then mimic it in manual." And, then, and what I tell people is just play, play around, set an exposure in manual, like guess a setting. I'm big in the guessing settings. Like you walk into a situation and you go, "Oh, this looks to be about 800 ISO and." 60th of a second at f3.2. I, I, you should be able to get the proper exposure in three shots Yeah, with yeah. digital photography. Three shots you should be able to get the exposure. Because if you're really far off, then you get much closer on the next one and you should have it dialed in by the third one. And, and that's just the case. And it's just a matter of moving your aperture, your ISO, and your shutter speed. The rest can fall in. You may not have that understanding, but you just have to go and shoot. And, and that's that's my thing: is you go and shoot, um, and and then it's it's. And I think a lot of people think they're going to pick it up right away today.
1: No. Yeah, when, get when I started, you got to get mileage on your trigger finger, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I shot film, and I don't think that anybody that is at a disadvantage today because they didn't. You know, there's the people that will tell you that, oh, film was you know you're not a purist. Well, you're not a f- Uh, freaking purist unless you roll up in a wagon with a glass plate on the back of a truck you know on the back of the wagon and you're you're processing developing that with chemicals in the back of the wagon you want to talk purist go all the way back to the beginning on how they made this stuff right so I don't believe in that purist bullshit it's just if you want to go shoot film Go shoot film. It will help you learn. But I think digital helps people learn quicker because they see their results. With film, you shoot 36 shots, and three weeks later you get the film back, and you go, I don't know what I did wrong.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. the feed, the feedback loop is seconds instead of days, like in the old days. Yeah, like,
0: yeah and, and the, the whole, you know, the chimping thing. Do you chimp? Uh, yeah,
1: I, I, I have to chimp.
0: I yeah. chimp? I absolutely Jim and it's not something where you take a picture and you look you take a picture and you look you, t- you take a picture you look at the screen because it's a pretty good I don't do histograms I'm sure yeah. you do histograms yeah. I don't believe in them especially when I shoot in low light situations and I got a big ass spike going one way that's not gonna get me anywhere it's yeah. just a di- it's like hey you got a big spike to the left whoopee um but I forget what I was saying <laughs> I love it. What was I saying? <laughs> I
1: forgot. This is this is awesome. This is gonna be the greatest show ever. This is.
0: <laughs> well, I uh, yeah, but I forget what I was saying. It was I was going somewhere?
1: You were going somewhere, but we'll come back to that. Now, you know, before we go going further in that stuff, I want to jump into marketing a little bit before I lose you because that's the other piece of your brain, right? So
0: you're not gonna lose me. Yeah, because your your brain. I love marketing. Good. I mean, marketing, branding.
1: You you like. Okay, so you're a great photographer. Senior work, it's amazing. You know what you're doing, inside and out of the camera. And then you get online, and like I said at the top, 28 million people have seen that. 28 million people can't be wrong, right? Their views can't be wrong. You're 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 doing something right. What are you doing? And how'd you put this world, this ecosystem of fro knows
0: together? Well, I'll tell you, it didn't. It it wasn't something that just came out of nowhere. Uh, when I I struggled ten years from after college until the point where I figured out what to do on the online um, as a photographer I I was a very closed photographer like people I I thought I had the greatest I thought I had a good website I thought I had good work but then it came down to I wasn't in the. I wasn't putting myself in places to be successful I wasn't going out and schmoozing I wasn't I thought that people would find my website and hire me because it's better work than what other people are doing well that's not always the case you have to put yourself in into situations to be successful and I didn't do that and I and and then at some point I tried making videos on jaredpoland.com which was what I did and I did it for a little and then I was getting like 800 hits a day you know 800 people to my website 800 website views I was like yeah this is cool but I wasn't in the right place I wasn't I didn't have the right ideas yet um I didn't know what I was doing online and I did some internet marketing events which I would never pay to go to um I just ended up meeting people in that in the in fitness internet marketing And what these guys did, and I think it's a bunch of crap, you know, the internet marketing stuff, which is, hey, I've got the secret to how you can make millions online. Well, the people that tell you that are making millions online telling you how to make millions. That's how they're making their millions. Um, So basically I got into these events, the, the higher end events, the events that weren't full of crap by offering my services for nothing in exchange for them to pay my way, and I would give them the work. But I got to sit in the front and listen to these people speak. So I learned what I thought was good, and then I just got rid of the stuff that was bullshit that these guys were saying. And some things clicked in my mind. I'm like, I don't think they're right. you know? I don't think these guys are right talking about buying YouTube views. I don't think they're right about all this other stuff. And I said, I just want to do this my way, what I feel is right. And a lot of people just in the Internet marketing world, is it's sell, 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 sell. Yep. Sell from day one. Everybody's like, you need to sell something day one, and I didn't. I I gave everything away, and everything continues to be free on froknowsphoto.com, except for the video guide, which just came out in September. That's that's like a three-hour-long thing that's produced and put together to help people. But there's still 1,200 free videos, and I continue to make them day in and day out. Um, but anyway. I, I get off track, but how how did the marketing come about?
1: Yeah, how did that how did that come about? And so it it was it was a sort of an evolution rather than a revolution of okay, this I'm gonna launch the fro brand and it has all these components. You could have built it over time, right?
0: Yeah, well, I started growing the hair not for this purpose. It's just I've never grown my hair longer than three months or four months because it would look awkward, and then I just let it go. And we're in five and a half years now with the hair, and wow. it's never been trimmed. It's never been played. You know, well, it's been played with by certain people, but, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, that, we were talking last about night. it offline. <laughs> she loves Including she last wanted, night. <laughs> she wanted to braid my hair. She's like, I want to braid it. I'm like, no, you're not braiding it right now. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> we got to take care of right? <laughs> yeah, but yes, no. No, I'm respectful. Very respectful. I don't give it up on the first date. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe the second or third. Um, <laughs> okay. yeah, but, so... What happened is the name just came out of nowhere. I was just thinking of names for a site because I knew what I wanted to do was create a site where people could ask me questions and then they'd maybe buy something from the affiliate link, which is you know an Amazon thing, and that exists, and that's how people survive online uh some of them and and I was like, I need something that's interesting and I came up with i don't know it's a fro nose photo came up, and I bought it I didn't ask anybody i didn't ask them what they thought and I just did it yeah and so I had the site built. I had some, some people that I met at some of these events help me build that. And then my idea was, I don't want to write articles. I don't want to sit at the computer and type and do a blog like everybody else and just write these things because I am better in front of the camera also. you know, I can talk in front of the camera. And so I can make videos. And if I make videos and I put them on YouTube, well, YouTube is owned by Google, and Google owns the search realm. So if I put these things on Google, uh, on YouTube, then people are going to search it, and they're yeah. going to find me because we're in a visual medium. you rather watch it and than read it. Now, that's yeah. not always the case, but the people that, like me, uh, enjoy the way that I present it. it. I'll just tell you, what I set out to do was create something that was fun, and informative so not just boring sitting in front of a, a camera and giving tech talk but tackling a dummy sniffing a g- piece of gear plant, you know doing weird stuff because yeah. your I, videos you know, are amazing
1: dude i love them i love them thanks so how, so how do on a day-to-day basis so you said you do you put these things out every day and they range what they're under five minutes or so yeah. so it's so it's not, not like of you know, some of them are longer but it's not like you know people have to invest okay i got to sit down and get a cup of coffee and watch the jared video today you know but well, like, it's they're, they're in and out so how do you, what's your schedule for doing this you do them, you get up and you roll out of bed and you're like okay i'm going to go do something or what how do you
0: do, how do well, they come about very early on uh, i was i was forced to do 5 minute videos which was a which was a godsend because the d3s only shot for 5 minutes right <laughs> So, that was the magic behind the, the video length. <laughs> that was the magic behind it. Yes, and easily consumable videos are what people want. So I was stuck with five minutes, which meant I was stuck with four and a half minutes because by the time I press the play, the record button, sit in my chair, and start talking, and then have my phone ding at four minutes, uh, you know the video is almost over. So you have to deliver something concise, and you've got to get to the point, and it's got to be fun, and it's got to be informative, and I, and I do no editing. Like I didn't do editing. Like, I wasn't an editor. I never did video until three years ago, uh, video editing, uh, and and I taught myself. I'm not the greatest video editor, but I can put – another reason I do one take. I do one take because I don't want to have to edit it later. That's too much work, and you just want to create the content, have quality content, which came also to having good microphones. I learned that, like Three weeks into making videos, yeah. I bought $600 wireless microphones. I invested in my business. I have great video because the D3S was great, and you put an 8514 on there. But if you can't hear me and you can see me, then it's it's worthless. Then it's garbage.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that was that was the five minute videos. There's 40 minute. I do five minute portraits now that are you know I call it the five minute portrait, and they're 40 minutes long, just because. It's different. And some people will watch it. Not everybody, but there's always some piece of content that somebody can watch. And and I like to tell people, you can do a search on YouTube for anything photography, and you're going to see one of my 1,200 videos pop up on the side. My hair's going to be there. It's just, that was my game. It was make a video. I, did, I When I first started, it was two videos a day. I would... Wake up, make a video, edit it, put it up. Make a video, edit it, put it up, and that's not sustainable by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. But, yeah. No, but I knew the more you put out there, the more people are going to find it. Because the more topics... It's like SEO. I don't understand SEO, but common sense SEO says if you're going to do a review of a Nikon D7100, that you call it Nikon D7100 <laughs> review. Yeah. Don't call it the first ever great review of this awesome Nikon D7100 because I read on YouTube how they rank your searches. It's based off of how many words you match. So if somebody wants to know something about a D7100, they're going to type in D7100 review. And if I have D71 Nikon D7100 review, I'm matching 2 out of 3 terms. I am going to rank higher because more of my con- more of my You know, keywords are are matching the search results. So putting superfluous things in there like first ever, it's like nobody gives a shit. Nobody's going to search for first ever because guess what? It's not the first ever. I I love when people say they're the first to do something. You are not the first to do something unless you walked on the moon, right? (laughs) Unless you walk on Mars. Then you can say you're the first. I'd rather say I'm the 31st, the 14th. I'd rather promote that. Hurts, right? We're second. We're we're the second leading renter. Or it wasn't Hertz. It was Enterprise. It was one of those. Their campaign was we're the second best. Yeah, it, it was it was something first. like where when you're number
1: two we try harder or something like that. Was there a right? Slogan?
0: Yeah, right. And and that's you know.
1: So you were shooting with a, You were shooting with an icon. But are are you shooting? Are you using the GoPro at all for any of your work?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I use the GoPro now. Uh, I call it the first-person shooter project. I put the GoPro. I attach it to the hot shoe using uh, you know a hot shoe and a cold shoe type thing. And mm-hmm. sorry, a cold shoe into the hot shoe, and then a two and a quarter uh, goes into the GoPro, and yep. I put that on top of the camera so people can watch what I'm shooting during concerts like i'll put it on in the pit like i'm shooting justin bieber i've got this video camera running whether it's oh, legal or not whether you're supposed to or not supposed to i do it because people like seeing what's going on in the pit and they can see my first person perspective they can see as i when i press that shutter the picture pops up so I'm it, it's so just
1: stealing that i'm stealing that that's awesome
0: that's fine yeah <laughs> definitely uh, you know people ask about the gopro all the time they're like the gopro is great The GoPro is a great tool, but the only thing is if you don't know how to edit video and you're not capable of editing video or nobody, you know, you don't have a friend who does video, then you're just going to be left with gigs and gigs of hours of video. Uh, I went to Aruba to test it. That's not the only reason I went to Aruba, but while I was in Aruba, I tested the GoPro and it ended up, I sent it to my video editor. I asked him for a, like, I said, can you just do this? I'll put your information in front of it because I didn't want to spend $400 to do this, but... um. He cut it. He took all the footage and made a 30-second video. A 30-second wow. video For- from all the footage, but it's amazing. How much, how much how many how many minutes of video did you give him
1: that he edited down? I
0: probably gave him a good 2 hours of video yeah, of me right. jumping and swimming cuz I took it underwater, but it got viewed it's viewed like 280,000 times. One because it's 30 seconds and two because there so happens to be a girl in a bikini getting out of the water as I'm following her ass right out. Yeah. And and I put that as a thumbnail, and you know how people are on the internet. Of course, um, and you don't cheat people. That was actually in the video. So, yeah, and it ended. How many, ended up how many times viewed.
1: was that viewed? Because you cut out a little bit when you were saying the how many.
0: Oh, sorry, I didn't want to cut out. Two hundred. It's like two hundred eighty thousand views. Jeez, it was like seventy thousand day one. Because it just people see a thumbnail of a pretty girl's butt in pink. They're gonna click on it.
1: Isn't that a shame? Know? That's a shame. You know,
0: humanity. Where's it? Where's it gone? You know it's psychology this it, we were in a business of uh psychology
1: I know so so a lot of people are you know just to, to close it off on that GoPro thing, a lot of people were saying, including on on my show, they were saying that they had issues with it, freezing up all the time and just not being ready for you when you're ready to take the shot. Have you had that issue at all
0: so I haven't had an issue where it's not ready for the shot if it's on, it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I've run into trouble with is where you have to pull the battery. In order, like, if I plug in the USB to the computer and I turn it on to transfer files, and then I disconnect it, you can't turn it on and you can't turn it off. Like, it's not on, but it's not off. But a red light's on in the back, so I have to pull the battery to reset it. But I haven't had had trouble when I'm shooting. The battery life sucks. That's yeah. a given. But that you can get, um, you can get those mono price lithium batteries that pl- have USB plugs and yeah. attach yeah. that. The GoPro's great. I mean, the guy's a billionaire. I read he's on the billionaire list now, the, the founder of it, because of what they've created. They yeah. created a, a, a following. They have 4.8 million people on their Facebook fan page. That's just insane. That's crazy. Yeah, I got one, and I'm happy with it. I, I haven't.
1: Luckily, I haven't had any of the freeze-up problems that people complain about, not, not even the pull-the-battery-out thing. It's right. just It's where I just – I mean, I, maybe it's because I got a later model. I got the GoPro, the, the hero, the black one that's – um. Hey, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bought, I bought the black one as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you for supporting. Um, and I got that. <laughs> Hold on, I got it a couple weeks ago.
0: <laughs> you do not. Does that pig have a fist on it? Let me see the end. Of no, it. this one doesn't have a fist on it. No, I buy these. By the way, I buy eleven hundred and fifty-two of these at a time. Eleven? I mean, you go through it in a day. Go well, on. it's not for me. It's this, you want to talk about branding and marketing? Yes, yes. That if anybody has ever bought a shirt from me, they will know that when they open up the pack, they get things that they didn't expect. Good. There's extra things in there. If there's, It's added value. Things that people did not expect that you can throw in there. This pick cost me 13 cents, right? So I, I spend $150, $60 to buy 1,152 of them, and my, my girl who ships the merch, because I have a merch we keep it all in house. Stamps everyone with Fronosphoto.com in white, and so people open up and they and they get this there in there. They get stickers. On occasion, we just throw random things in there. Maybe a lens cloth. If we notice that somebody bought something multiple times, because we know who's bought and we we we've seen these people uh purchase multiple times, and we just throw in extra goodies. That's you know, great. we throw in a lens cloth. We throw in a a a, a winter hat. So it's that whole added value. It's you, but you how does that work? work? How does
1: how does it work logistically on the back end? Right? So you you get an order in, I've seen your site, you know, it looks great, and I say, you know what, I want an ice shoot raw fro nose t shirt and I order one. What happens then? Is it shipped from someplace in China? Does it come from you? Is it you have a stack of them in your place there? I mean, how <laughs> does it work?
0: So he, hey, the funny thing is I, I, I ship the first well, I'm not even gonna put numbers on it. I used to ship all of the orders myself. I would write manually write the names and addresses of where they were going when I first started, Um, and then now I have a person who handles the merch, but it's in-house. It's in my dad's house, actually. Um, It used to be in my old loft in the city, and when I moved home, we we left it there because it makes it easier for the, the girl that I have working to get there. She goes on her own. She has a key to my dad's house and prints out the orders. We've got nine or ten racks of shirts always in stock. And We're talking the big baker's racks that are six high. Yeah, uh, we stock small through five XL. We stock really big shirts for the big boys and big girls because they people need big shirts. Um, so the orders come in, and she prints them out. She pulls them, she packs them, she weighs them. And prints the label. We 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 came up with our own system, and that's another thing. There there are companies that do this. You know, I don't want to get Zazzle to print shirts on demand. Right. Yeah. You look at Zazzle. You're selling a shirt for twenty four dollars. You're making maybe two dollars on it, and the quality of the shirt is crap. They use what's like a Gildan t-shirt. If Gildan's watching, I hate your crap. Um, they're crappy shirts. Um. I use a, a ring-spun cotton. It's not American apparel. They're way too expensive. I'm sorry. I do, ta- I do buy these. They are, I think some of the shirts are made in China or they are made overseas. But I keep all of the printing in-house. Now, I don't do the printing myself. I have a local guy, a mom-and-pop shop that does the printing. I buy okay. the shirts from a local place that keeps people in business. So two out of three in the U.S. isn't bad. And we ship worldwide. Everything we, we ship all over the world. We ship. We ship. Al Jazeera for some reason likes ordering from me in in the UAE. We ship to Al Jazeera. There's you some know, froze Africa. over there.
1: There's some froze yeah. apparently. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that that's you know we we do it in house and it's it's a nice system that we've built and um I you know it's not that's just awesome. me. So
1: that's a that's a real a physical business
0: because you like you were
1: talking earlier about internet businesses and they. They generally sell information. It's information marketing, yeah. right? So there's no physical atoms being moved around. It's all electrons. You're yeah. you're doing the physical stuff, which is exponentially well, you know why? harder.
0: Why? Well, you know why? Because bands sell merch. Hmm. If I, I spent how many years touring with bands and working with bands to know that they don't make money selling a CD. They make money selling T-shirts. There's bands pulling in, you know, the big bands that are playing the big 10,000, 20,000 venues are making couple hundred thousand a night in merch. Jeez. Wow. Some of the other bands are making 80,000 a night in merch. And I knew that, you know, my my site was free. And 10 days into my site launching, I put out the first I-shoot raw shirt. I knew that I had to find a way to to monetize it in order to allow me to keep doing it. Yeah. And people, you know, some people will yell at you. Some people say, you know, "You're you're, you know, you're selling out." you know what it's free information if you would like to support what i am doing thank you but you know you can buy a t-shirt to continue that on and the more people that purchase and i keep my shirts they're all 14.99 or less when i run a sale and i i I rather sell more at a lower price than than have like 25 dollars shirts and I know, it's not it's not about the shirt anymore, you know what i mean yeah, yeah.
1: I, it, that's but yeah, it's, it's awesome because it's, it's like you have this constellation of of things that are going on, so you have the content you're pumping out the, the videos with the with the GoPro and you're having oh, yeah. fun there
0: you know you 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 asked me what i my schedule I know that was like twenty oh, yes. minutes ago Yes. but um so very early on when I realized it wasn't sustainable to put up. Two videos every day, and just think of them that day, that minute, and go make them. Uh, I started to say Monday's going to be this, Tuesday's going to be this, Wednesday's going to be this, and put determine what type of content I'm going to put out each day. Yeah, um, because certain content is easier to make. I do a rapid fire critique, an Adorama picks rapid fire critique, where I uh, people submit their work and I critique it in a quick fashion, maybe ten minutes or less. Uh, and I and I go through it, and they send me ten pictures, and I talk about it, and I critique it. Well, that's a that's a piece of content that I could maybe film five of them in a row and then edit it and then cut it down and then pre-upload them to YouTube and only turn them on when I need them, you know, and early on when I, when I started, I gave out my Skype name and people could call me on Skype. But what I did is I recorded them. I recorded the call with their permission to put up to help other people because I figured everybody, there's people with the same questions. I might as well do this and record it Mm -hmm. and, that is user-generated content. That's something that I didn't have to think of to go and create. That's something that somebody called me for, and we came up with a good conversation, and that's a piece of content. So that took another, you know, that's a day slot. That could fill Wednesday, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I sat there with my grandmother, and I made videos with her, and that had nothing to do with photography. It just, why you know, it, it's a humbling thing you know i think people like to watch because it's not just photography there's there's re, there's real life involved i think part of it is because i don't edit and i make mistakes and i keep going people can relate to that everything got so polished for a long time but i don't you, it's it's too polished it's too I fake and agree. we got to be real and and the more real you are the the more people will latch on and it's a good thing to remember that it's better to have 50% of the people love you, 50% of the people hate you, then 100% of the people not give a shit. So if yeah. you try to make everybody happy, you make nobody happy. So you have to stand for something today. You I can't just be out there and, you know, you can't just stand for – try to play it safe, which yeah. probably brings us to that wedding discussion we were having Yes, earlier.
1: let's talk about that. Um, I definitely want to talk about that. So last week – and we mentioned this before I started recording – I think it was last week on This Week in Photo, we, we did a show where we brought up the, the, the case of the wedding photographer, I, I believe it was in Arizona, that was sued for declining to shoot a same-sex marriage wedding. And was sued and lost to the tune of like six thousand six hundred dollars or something like that because this photographer said I don't want to shoot that wedding because of whatever reasons my religious beliefs or yada right. yada yada right so I'm not going to lead the witness on this what do you think about that right well, for, or wrong
0: well it I, I, <laughs> the photographer has <laughs> the right to not take a job yep. and and and. As the same-sex couple, why would you want a guy who doesn't want to shoot your wedding to shoot your wedding? When, you know, I, I, that's, just, that's just me. You have the right to fire a client. You have the right not to – just because somebody asks you to shoot their wedding doesn't mean you should do it. There's a right fit and there's a wrong fit. I've had weddings where – like I've had very good weddings. They're the ones that I've done. And, and by the way, when I started my site, a way I sustained, sustained myself – was I had two good years under my belt shooting weddings, and I could cre- spend time during the day I didn 't need a day job, so I took all of that money and invested it in myself to build up. and by the way, I did max out a credit card, which I paid off. It was a 15 month zero financing credit card for 15 grand. Wow. That's how I bought my first merch. Then I recycled that money. I know we're getting off topic, but I thought it's important. Then I did it smart. They- somebody was giving me 15 months to pay off 15,000 dollars and I just reinvested the money back into myself, bought more merch as it sold. But, you know, you know which wedding clients you're going to have a good time with. You know certain ones aren't your type. And if they don't hire you, that's fine, but you don't have to always hire them. Now, do I think that you should discriminate against shooting a same-sex marriage? Absolutely not. I think it's an awesome thing. I think it's an awesome thing for the industry because – how many people would be getting married? How many more people would be getting married that weren't getting married yesterday because they can now officially be deemed a married couple? That would be freaking awesome. And gay weddings, or, yes, gay weddings, because it would be considered a gay wedding, would be a ton of freaking fun. I would be on the dance floor dancing with the gay guys, the gay girls, because I don't care. Like, I am secure in my sexuality, but you you know that... Not a, not a stereotype that um, gay weddings would have sharply dressed people, nice flowers, <laughs> nice you food. Know, like, not a stereotype, but let me uh, run down some stereotypes. <laughs> but, but not all of the weddings would be like that. We know yeah. that. But you also know that great taste. You know, I mean you know that they're going to be fun. The weddings right. are mostly going to be fun. It's just a great opportunity because one of the magazines wouldn't accept an advertisement for a same-sex marriage. Yeah. Are you get, Give me a fucking break. You know, if you're ultra – I don't want to get into religion. But, you know, don't push your beliefs on somebody else. But if somebody wants to get married, who gives a shit?
1: Yeah. Who gives a yeah, shit? But that, I mean, I, I don't want to get into religion either, but that is part of it, right? I mean, that's the well, – people have you – know, they have certain religious beliefs or, you know, they could just be plain racist and they, they, the same kind of topic could come up and they'd say, you know what, I don't want to shoot a Jewish wedding because I don't like Jewish people. I don't want to shoot a black wedding because I don't like black people or I don't want to shoot this mixed wedding because
0: m- races shouldn't be mixing, you know. <laughs> so, but the great you- thing about the great thing about races mixing is in 50 years, we're all going to be the same Beige. because yes. it doesn't matter. And I always oh, I don't want to say this. You can say it anyway. Go you on. know how Serena Williams and you know how the Williams sisters were made? They All were bred. Right. They were bred to be ch- tennis players because right. Mr. Williams found a basketball playing woman and said, I want to have kids that are going to be athletes and they're going to play tennis. Yeah. I always said as a, a short white Jewish guy that I'm going to marry a, a, a black woman because oh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to do this. Just because I'd have an athletic kid. I said it anyway. But, <laughs> you know, it's just like
2: it – I'm awesome. you know, it,
0: it's just a joke. I'm not racist. I'm just, yeah, yeah we know I mean, equal you're... opportunity. But where were we? Yeah, I don't know. But the, the... The, oh, the advertisement, the religious thing. You know, yeah. the, you know, in photography, there is that religious sect of the photography market. There is that, uh, you know, the let's pray that we get good photos. It's called yes. praying and praying. But <laughs> don't do that. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, next, next. That's what but you're no, doing last
1: night, right? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not at
0: all. No, man. The, the pants stayed on last night. I was I just pulling be... your leg. No, nobody was pulling my leg last night. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was fun. We had a great, I had a great time. I won't be seeing her again. And that was her choice, but we had, we were going to remain friends because we weren't definitely the right f- fit for each other. Yeah. But like, I'm dating and all that good stuff because it's fun. Yes. It's enjoyable. Well, sometimes it's fun. This was fun. We knew that we weren't going to, like, you know, she's a, a Catholic girl that goes to church every Sunday. I'm a Jewish guy who looks like Jesus on occasion. And, you know, we could fit there. But, you know, we knew we just had fun because she was cool. And I was cool. And we had a great time. Yeah. This isn't that. dating 101. But. I love it. We could, do, you, we could do a whole
1: podcast series together, man. I can see it now. I could but do let's, it. Let's, let's talk about um, these, these boot camps that you run which yeah. it, and I saw some pictures of like this giant crowd of people crowded around um, what was what was the catalyst for that and and how are those going
0: well the, the, the catalyst for it is that we all sit behind computers and we need to take the social out of social media and make it social in person again. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of it was you have to be seen. And I know this, like do something different. How many people are holding meetups and, and all of this? So Frodo walks were just like the first one I did was in Philly, which was outside my loft. We had 200 people show up. It was the first one I did. People drove in from, from eight hours away to come to do this. We had 200 people. We walked around the streets for two hours and we talked. Uh, Then I just figure everywhere I go, there's readers. It's just this brand has become a global thing. I didn't set out. I didn't set out on the direction to do what I'm doing with the website. I thought if I started a website, maybe I'd get more photo jobs because I would get more photo jobs. But what happened is the people that latched onto it. I have a beginner market. People that are looking to learn. They've picked up their first cameras, and I was smart enough or just did the right thing to to follow the direction that I was being pushed by the readers who make up the people that keep me doing what I'm doing. You know, Um, excuse me, it it just, in business, I didn't set out to start a business. I didn't set out to make money at it or make a living doing this because I am a photographer. If I am not shooting, I am not happy. But I've also learned that if you do the things, sometimes to do the things you love, you have to do some things you may not love, and that's true with photography. If you don't love shooting weddings, but you love shooting concerts. Well, mu- music photography is not going to pay the bills. It's not going to pay the bills for anybody unless you're the number one guy in the world that's getting getting cover shoots for Rolling Stone and all that. But maybe shooting that wedding will allow you to go on tour with that band because you made four grand on a wedding and yes. you can take two hundred dollars to go shoot this band. So doing the things that you may not want to do to afford you to do the things you love. Um, and where were we going with that? Well, I mean, we, were, we were talking about the, the, uh, the boot camps and how oh, the boot camps stuff got right. started, yeah. So I thought it would be great to have – you, know, you, you hang out in person mm-hmm. because we need to get out and shoot. You can't just sit behind the computer. So I did that first one in Philly, and then I thought maybe I should do a boot camp. Maybe I should – people, people want to learn. They want to learn more than what I can give them online, so why don't I put together a group and teach – because mm-hmm. that seems to be something that people want to, they were asking me, "Are you, do you ever teach classes? Do you do one-on-one? So I, I put together a, a, a boot camp, and yeah. I put a price on it, and I put what I thought was reasonable. And, you know, you always get the people that bitch, that's too much, but some people, like, look, if, if something you learn from anybody, you, you go to anybody's clinic and you learn something that makes you money. Like, look at weddings. If I teach you something that you turn into shooting weddings, that 400 that $500 investment you made on my boot camp is paid off in the first deposit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, sometimes you have to spend a little to make a little, and that's it's not right. for everybody. That's not for everybody. I'm not saying that you need to take boot, you need to go to people's clinics. You can learn a lot on your own, but some people just can't learn in front of the computer and they want to learn personally, and that's that's what I do. They're fine, and I'm not about pushing this stuff. I'm not about selling, selling, selling. It will yeah. sell itself when people realize it's there. Um, and you just have to tell them it 's there and let them make the decision, but we 've done boot camps. I did it I wanted to go to photokina two years ago when I, uh, three almost three years ago when I started photokina was coming up in three months i couldn 't afford to go and I said when it comes around in two years i 'm going to go so at this point, because I have a a global reach, people are all over the world. I figured why don 't I go to europe first uh, sorry why don 't I go to london and 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 first and then pay my you know make some money to pay for my trip so that I can go to Photokina to make videos and interact with people. And everywhere I go, where I teach, where I charge something for a boot camp, which is limited to 25 people, I do something free for everybody the next day. So if the boot camp's on Saturday, Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon is the Frodo walk where 150 people show up to hang out and talk photography. It doesn't cost anything. I don't charge people to do that because it's about being seen. It's with music. You know, if you've ever met a musician and – you shook their hand or you had a personal conversation with them. You are no longer just a fan. You're their friend. So they've touched you in a way that you're going to show up to every show. You're going to buy a T-shirt. You're going to buy their music. You're going to spread the word of what they do because you believe in They They took the time to talk to you. And that's another thing I didn't talk about earlier is how did the, the, the brand build and build and build? Yeah. I answered every email that came in. I still try to answer as many as possible. I interacted with people. I was a human being. I was. I'm just like everybody else, and now people look to you, as, maybe as me, as an authority figure, a, a, an authority figure in the field. They think I've got answers, and I, 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 have my beliefs in my answers. Whether they're all right, they're not all right. But answers, you know answers, and
1: opinions. Answers and opinions. Right. Right. So that's, that's what so, people are looking for.
0: So basically, the Frodo walks are cool. We go to every, we go to cities. Um, we had 150 people show up in San Francisco recently. Had 150 people show up in London, which was amazing. Germany, we had 12. We had 12 because I didn't officially book one. And last minute, people showed up in Cologne because I didn't know when it would be or when we would have time. But that was awesome. We hung out. We went out to drink with all of them. I don't drink beer, so they just drank a lot of Kolsch. Um, but most of the people that, actually, all the people that were there in Germany, Went and had a beer, so we hung out for like four hours. Wow. And that's what it's about. I, I, you know, so real journal.
1: social, not, not, you're not just getting likes and, and plus right. ones, right? Real it's, social. It's,
0: it's being in person because, you know what, we can get stuck behind the camera. Like I can make videos, and I don't realize the effect that I'm having on somebody out there in the world because I don't see it but yeah. it's unbelievable because people are being affected by the things you and I are doing they may be inspired to go a certain direction we may touch you know i almost said we may touch a 14 year old we may we may we <laughs> <You> may <laughs> i may not but what what i mean by that is you may do something that gives them inspiration to find a path to do something good because we're giving back to them they may find a direction that they want to go with their future because of something they saw us do yeah so Yep. so you let, know, let, if you have a voice use it jump ju- just to close us off so w- we're ending you know, we're ending a little I don't want to go too
1: long so talking about sort of multimediographers so we talk about that on the show a lot and then you know I was I was uh talking to some folks a while back about just the idea of the solopreneur and that, what that means is the you essentially is the photographer that is a the creative person that has a constellation of things around them that allow them to sustain so you have, you're your own so you're your own you know your solar system you know okay. you got your own planets and that's generating money it is paying your rent and you're allowing you to eat and keep you in pics and all that stuff so yep. is that the way that is that how photographers are going to be successful today, because the dream used to be you know what i 'm going to get good and then i 'm going to get a book deal and then i 'm going to be this guy, and you know all is all that over, and it 's you have to
0: be you well, know the multimediographer Jared you know you you don 't have to be anything to do anything these days, but you know some people are going to just be great photographers and get gigs and 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 everything you don't have to do what we do to be successful as a photographer there's plenty of ways to be successful, but you should No, no shoulds. There's no definitives in photography and art and anything. So anybody that tells you there are, you know, I don't want to say shoulds. But you, I'm going to say should. You should try (laughs) to learn as much as possible uh, multimedia-wise. We don't just take stills anymore. We make content. We make videos. So if you understand how to edit videos, if you do things that other people may say, hey, you know, could you, while you're here, don't just take these portraits, but could you make a quick 30-second clip? or something. If you know how to do that, you can make more money at what you're doing. But part of it is being able to brand and market yourself. We, we are in a game where you brand and market yourself because that's how you get your information out there. That's how, you be, that's how you are discovered. That's how people resonate with what you're doing. People all the time send me emails, like my Facebook page. No. I will not just like your Facebook page. I don't know who you are, and yeah. I'm not just gonna click like because you're you're playing a vanity game. This isn't a vanity game. You know, because you have 1,000 people that you asked to like your page versus 200 people who discovered and decided to like your page, i rather have the 200 that are interested in what I'm doing than 1,000 who don't give a shit. So, you know, we live in a game where you tell stories, or in a world where you tell stories, You engage with people, and the way you get people to latch on to what you're doing is you're a human. You give them a reason to like you. You give them a reason to follow what you're doing. You interact, and that's, to me, what you can do today. It's one way you can be successful, but it comes down to also quality work. If you're not delivering quality work, first and foremost, then people won't hire you. It's your job to know your craft and and, (laughs) – And, and, and I won't go off on tangents, but it's it's your job to know your craft. It is no, and, and and always learn, and don't be afraid of change, and don't be afraid of the newest technology coming around. I have a Litro. We're not. It's horrible. <laughs> the, the Lytro design is the worst thing ever. In theory, you don't and like your Litro? What the hell am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Uh oh, he froze. You froze up no, for a second.
1: Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, no, it good. caught up to us.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, you know, I get it. I embraced trying to do something with it, but yeah. there's really not much you can do with it. And the problem with Lytro is they may get out lytro by a technology company, who which exists now, that comes along and takes a regular image sensor, takes rapid-fire pictures at different apertures, all in a split second. Getting the right exposure and then allowing you to shift the focus and outlight drawing lightro It's just not there yet. It, but yeah. but embrace it. You know, understand video, understand new technologies. I'm not a micro four third person. Uh oh, I want to have the best of the best of the best with on. Yeah, it looks
1: honor. like Google Plus is freezing up on us a little bit. So let's before it kicks us off, let's uh let me let me do my closing sort of thing here. So. What I like to ask photographers is to sort of give a tip or something, and I want to ask you a couple things. So on the marketing side and sort of social media, which a lot of people feel deluged with, okay, I got Twitter, I got Facebook, I got Google+, Google Plus, Pinterest, you know, all these different networks, YouTube, all these different places where I need to be present. How do they – what would you suggest they do to manage that, that overflow of information while still managing to be a photographer?
0: I, I – I, translate this down to telling stories do something that other people aren't doing or give people a reason to be interested in what you're doing if you're shooting weddings and that is your forte then don't just it's not about pushing this is a, this is a common mistake in social media in the whole world is that you're always pushing for something you're always saying go do this go do that and you're not engaging in the conversation it's about engaging in a conversation ask people questions and have them answer them and then engage back. Like what would be your ideal wedding shoot? If I, if you had $5,000 to spend on a wedding shoot, what would you spend it on? You know, just, and, and if you, if you want people to be interested in your work, tell those stories of the day, give, give the information for nothing. People want to know. So if you give it to them, they're going to thank you in return. If anybody knows Gary Vaynerchuk, he, call, he talks about the thank you economy all the time. Yeah. And I'm a, I can tell you, I'm, I, talk to Gary often we have a rapport which is great and that started because of a hair pick he loved the branding and marketing in this he spoke at the event the the first internet marketing event I ever shot before I started my website I threw this up on stage when I was shooting and he's like I freaking love that and then two (laughs) years later I spoke at that event that's great see that's a success story right there yeah and it's it's like tell the stories Tell the stories. Put up great information and just let people feel like they're a part of something, a community. Create something and just just do what you're thinking. Now, in terms of Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, what I did is I, I, I killed YouTube. My goal was to beat the crap out of YouTube first thing and foremost because that's where I wanted to be. And then Facebook is – you can't deny Facebook right now with over a 1.1 billion people interacting. Yeah. It's unbelievable the reach that it has. But you still need your own website. You still need your own playing field and your own playground. Um, but just, you know, you need your own brand. You need to – You need to handle yourself like you're a band. You need the brand. You need the market. You need to be multifaceted. But again, it comes back to quality work.
1: See, that's brilliant. So you handle yourself like you're a band. See, that's the first time I've heard it put that way in terms of positioning yourself and getting the word out about yourself. You're a performer, right? You're positioning yourself as a performer. It's not new, you know? No,
0: no. I mean, that's why I sold t-shirts. I, I said that earlier, but another thing is if, if you go back to my very first, one of my first videos, I put up my, for my thousandth video, I put up this video test I did before, like two years before Frono's Photo, and I was horrible. I couldn't get through 12 seconds without stopping, but I put up 10 minutes of this thing of the worst, most painful thing to watch. I put it up there so people could see that that's where I was, and one day the switch went off, and I just got really good at sitting in front of the camera and just saying it and just doing it. You know, you can do it. I
1: love it. That's great, man. Hey, I know it's late over there, uh, and uh, you've taken time. I mean, we we were trying, just to give, to tell the story, we've been trying to set this interview up for a long time because I've wanted to talk to you and pick your brain about this stuff, so thank you for finally, you know, I'm glad putting up with the back and forth and all that stuff, so thank you. No I'm problem. glad. I like I'm talking. Glad. Yeah, this is great, and I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to come on This Week in Photo as a co-host and, and bring some fro- to our cast. <laughs> well, if you
0: get it. Ken Rockwell on, I will join you. <laughs> so it'll be us three on there talking. I'll, I'll I'll definitely I'll do it with you. That's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that. I love it. I just I like it. talking, man. This is this is fun. This is what it's all about. Doing what you love, and, yep. and and in this day and age, sharing it with everybody else. And if and if somebody takes one nugget out of something that we make, and 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 it resonates with them, then then that's great. Yep. Change the world
1: one person at a time. All right, Jared Polin, thank you for taking the time tonight. You're welcome. Okay, that was Jared Polin of com. That brings us to the real end of another episode of This Week in Photo. We'll see you next week.
2: In photo is a FixoCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.